If you're an NHL head coach that's either on an expiring contract and your team missed the playoffs or on a team that uh, fell below expectations and didn't make the playoffs, chances are you got fired. In Pittsburgh's case, uh, their coach wasn't fired, but a couple of key front office guys did get the boot. We will talk about that in our appetizers, and we will preview the entire 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs, at least the first round, and maybe our final four. Episode 361 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. Uh, for those who didn't make the playoffs, Brett, let's uh, pay homage to a couple of head coaches and front office guys who are now on the unemployment line. Yeah, it was a, some. I mean, I guess not too surprising for a couple of these coaches, but um, yeah, I don't know. Um, we'll see. Um, I, I, it was funny because before, because I was thinking we should talk about Pittsburgh and Calgary before we went to the previews. And this was before all the firings. And I was just thinking, yeah, we, we could save Calgary for the off season. Yeah. That one's going to drag on for a bit. Yeah. Well, the thing about Calgary, I guess I can talk about Calgary just in a little bit. Um, just briefly is the fact that the game, uh, the playoff decisions were on the line. Uh, it comes to the shootout. I forget exactly who they're playing. Daryl Sutter somehow puts Nick Ritchie. It was Nashville, who was also fighting for a playoff yeah, spot. Right, right, right. And they didn't make the playoffs either. But um, somehow, the third spot, uh, Daryl Sutter put in uh, Nick Ritchie. Um, and I, I like Nick Ritchie. He was like, he had his stint in Boston. Um, he's not a bad player, he's a little bit inconsistent. But uh, what are you doing, Daryl Sutter? I feel like he was just asking to be fired there. Um, so that part I don't get. That's like, like you just fire him on the spot, basically. It's like, wh- what? Nick Ritchie? Um, anyways, uh, but uh, I guess I can talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins being out. Uh, this is actually the first time since Sidney Crosby's rookie year uh, that the Penguins haven't made the playoffs so that's 16 Gary years. Gary by the way, played in his last year, that year in 0 oh, wow. by the way. That's how long it's been. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and it's also... And Malkin did make his NHL debut at that point. Right, right, right. But, I mean, Crosby was very good his rookie year, of course. But like, Oh, yeah, he was. And, but, like, this was when... So this must have been... Because uh, that rookie year was also a Vetchkin's rookie year. Um, and that was um, right after the first lockout. Um, so that's yeah, how long Penguins ago it's been. and Capitals that year were both very bad. Yeah, exactly. Outside of those two guys, of course. Um, but anyways, uh, they are um, no longer in the playoffs, of course, um, and they let go of Brian Burke and Ron Hextall as the hockey of the president of hockey operations and the general manager. Um, it's a little bit of a surprise just from the standpoint that I thought they would have a little bit longer of a leash. Um, however, I guess it does make sense um, because they brought those guys in because they were set to, you know, make the playoffs. And when you can't make the playoffs, this is what happens. 
Um, they didn't really have a good deadline at all either. Um, so, I mean, we, we talked about this when that uh, episode happened. So it's like, it's hard to say that it wasn't justified. I thought it was a little bit early, but I guess it makes some sense to not have Hextall anymore. Um, I heard some rumblings that maybe Hextall wanted to be a, re like, to, like, because he was a good rebuilder in Philadelphia when he was a GM there. So I was, I'm wondering if maybe he will, like, he wanted to be a rebuilding team. I mean, I'm wondering if maybe that's what Pittsburgh starts to do is they start to rebuild. Although I feel like with the moves that they made of re-signing Chris Letang for a long term and Malkin for a long term, I feel like they can't do that um, now. But, um, but maybe they do. I don't know. Um, I, I do wonder if Sidney Crosby gets traded, if, if that's the route they go to. But I feel like that's a discussion we'll have eventually if they do decide to do that. But, um, yeah, how shocked were you about this uh, move? I mean, I think there comes a time where a team's golden era passes them by, and we're starting to see it in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. I mean... The fact of the matter is, yes, Pittsburgh missed the playoffs. They also finished tied with a Buffalo Sabres team that not even two full years ago said bye-bye to Jack Eichel, clearly rebuilding again because they were trading away all their assets. And all of a sudden, they're knocking on the doorstep of the playoffs. Buffalo and Pittsburgh were one point back of Florida for the final wildcard spot. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's a chance Florida bounces back. You also have the Islanders there. Um, the Leafs are going to be there for a bit. Same with New Jersey, same with the Rangers, same with the Hurricanes. Just in their division, they got a lot of teams to leapfrog. And what happens if Ottawa figures it out? And what happens if Detroit figures it yeah. out? There's just going to be a lot of teams to leapfrog moving forward. And the difficulty getting back into the playoffs, it's not going to be as easy as people think. And the fact of the matter is, heading into this year, and even more so heading into next year, their core keeps aging. Even Jeff Petrie, who they brought in this past offseason, in his 30s, like Crosby, like Malkin, like Latang. Uh, you got a couple more years of Jake Gensel under contract before he becomes a free agent at that point. Who knows what position this team is in? And, you know, you got secondary scoring in Jeff Carter, who's deeper into his 30s, around the same age as Crosby and Malkin. So, do I see... Things getting better from here? Not really. Yeah. And I, if if Ron Hextall's idea was to rebuild, it's a reality that Penguins fans probably don't want to hear, probably that ownership doesn't want to hear either with the core guys they've just committed to, obviously, for another multitude of years. But I think Ron Hextall, if he said those words, he's right. Eventually they will have no choice and they're just in a state of denial. Um... That being said, I think it was time for a change uh, in the front office because despite their best intentions and their best efforts, um, I think you need to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. But if they think they can just go with a different regime up top and think, ah, we can still win with this group, I'm sorry, boys, you're wrong. Have a nice day. You'll be in the lottery yeah. in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, you're always going to be... Um, in contention when you have Sidney Crosby on your team and Melkin as well. I'll, I'll give him that credit as well. 
But um, but yeah, I think I think it's it's also and not to mention, I mean, like Jake Gensel is also very good. Of course, Brian Russ has his moments, but um, yeah, I think I think they could the Penguins could have done a lot more over the deadline than what they did. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I I get the feeling though that like Crosby may not necessarily love being in a rebuild. Um, so I do wonder if there is a chance where he will ask out um, and, and want to move on. But, um, although I don't know. There's also this persistent rumor that the Penguins were close to getting JT Miller. Mm. And that the rumor goes they offered multiple first-round picks for JT Miller, and it was Vancouver yeah. who said... We mentioned this on the show. We, we, yeah. we, we need a center, and we've talked about it before. Yeah. So now I'm thinking, how bad did Ron Hextall want to do that? And how bad did ownership right. and the rest of the front office want to do that? Yeah. Like, who on that, who in that boardroom really wanted that deal to happen? Because right. the, the rumors have persisted, so the more I hear about them, the more I think, you know what? I don't know for a fact if it's reality or not, this is true, but the fact that it keeps getting talked about, uh, yep. I mean, I don't classify it as... 100% fake news, there's a chance it could have happened. Yeah, and, you know, and, like, at the time, JT Miller wasn't doing so well, but he finished the year uh, with 82 points in 81 games. So, uh, you know, I mean, I know that he uh, he's getting a contract extension um, for a long term um, next year um, and, and for the coming years, but, uh, but, yeah, that's definitely something you want to do. I think that speaks more towards the fact that the Penguins don't have a ton of high-caliber prospects that the Vancouver Canucks were even interested in. Um, so I, I think that's more of a sign of that, where it's like, yeah, it's hard to be a GM for the Penguins when you don't have a ton of prospects, but you also have guys like Crosby and Malkin, and you don't want to waste these years with them. Um, but yep. ultimately, so you're kind of in like two, like hard positions in that in that stance. So, so that's why I'm thinking like I, I am. I mean, maybe Crosby doesn't have that personality, and he already has three cups already. So I don't know if he necessarily wants to move on from Pittsburgh. But I do wonder if eventually that uh, Crosby's like, you know what, I. I want to, like, I've served my time here in Pittsburgh. I do want to go somewhere else. And um, he'll always have some, he'll always gain some return. He's like the LeBron of, of hockey. So um, so I'm sure well, he would, he would he go wherever he wants to. Yeah. this clip, like, yeah. even though they missed the playoffs, yeah. Sidney Crosby finished 16th in league scoring with yeah. 93 points. Yeah, yeah, yeah So, exactly. like, if he's still producing at that level in a couple of years and his contract's up, yeah. If if you're no, if you know you're in the position of probably retooling or rebuilding your team, I'm sorry, but trade him. Mm -hmm. like, he's done a lot for you. Get as much value for Crosby as you can if he's still producing at that level. Yeah, I mean it all comes down to if he wants to do that. But I don't know. Yeah. He seems like uh, the kind of player who wants to stay with the same team his entire career, which is which is respectable, of course. But. Anyways, I feel like we'll we'll talk about that if that ever happens. Um, of course. Um, also, I think we should briefly mention uh, these firings. Dallas Eakins was let go. Um, I believe his contract was up, but like technically he was fired, but his contract was up. 
Uh, not a huge surprise. He was very bad. Also, I guess we should mention that Anaheim has the best odds at getting Connor Bedard. Um, yeah, they're the anti-Bruins. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and, and Dallas Eakins was the Edmonton Oilers coach before they got Connor McDavid. So, uh, so he's like the, if you want to get a generational talent, hire Dallas Eakins. That's basically what you have to do. He was also the head coach of, a, of some pretty good Marley's yeah. teams back when yeah, the big Toronto Maple Leafs were back. Yeah. But, like, even after that Edmonton Oilers stint, he went back to the AHL. He was pretty good in the yeah. AHL. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it seems like he's just a good AHL coach and not a good NHL coach for whatever reason. Um, Which is not bad. Like, yeah. you need good AHL coaches to churn out good NHL talent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Um, so yeah, he served his purpose, and it's not a huge surprise that he's let go. Um, Peter yeah. Laviolette. No, it was a long time coming, but they did it. Yeah, Peter Laviolette is also let go. Um, yeah. This one, a little bit of a surprise, but not really at the same time. Nah. Um, the, I was actually looking at his coaching record um, uh, in Washington. Um, his first two years, they did make the playoffs. Um, and his first year, uh, he had 36 wins and, fi- and 15 losses. Remember, that was like the lockout shortened season. Um, they lost in the first round that year. Um, and then last year, they were 44 and 26 and 12. Um, and they lost in the first round. Um, and they didn't really have a ton of spite, uh, a fight. A ton of, <laughs> I almost said ton of spite. Uh, they didn't have a ton of fight. In the playoffs, it was kind of not surprising that they lost in the first round that year. And then this this year, they were completely out of it. Um, so, uh, but they did finish um, a little bit under 500. They went uh, 35, 37, and 10. Um, yeah, and they, again, it, this is very similar to the Penguins. They don't have a ton of prospects in the cupboard, but they also have a generational talent in Ovechkin and they have to build their team around that guy, and it's like they don't want to waste those years, but they kind of have no choice because they don't have a ton of prospects. Um, And, um, but yeah, I I guess it it makes sense that he was let go, although I was thinking maybe they they give him another chance um, to see if he gets a good first start, but it looks like that did not happen. He was getting four point nine million to coach the Capitals per yeah. year. By the way, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, then, uh, then we also have Brad Larson was let go. Um, this one, we, me and State have exchanged some emails here because uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess Steve was kind of surprised about this. Um, I wasn't so much because um, like he wasn't good his first year. Um, I mean, they did finish 37 and 38, um, and 7 last year. They were out of the playoffs. Um, this year, uh, they, of course, run into a ton of injury. Um, I was going to say injury luck, but I guess it's the opposite of that. Injury misfortune, uh, where they don't have yeah. Wierenski. Line A's out for half the year. Um, uh, Bogfist is misses, like, two months. Jake Bean's out for the year. Like, their entire defense is out. 
Um, and uh, Merzlikens was struggling as well. He didn't have a good yep. year. But like Merzlikens was struggling last year, uh, so that's why I wasn't as surprised about this as you were. Yeah, in that sense, yeah. Um, but um, and you know, like I guess you could say like, well, if they had a healthy Wierenski, maybe there is a chance. But he wasn't good last year, so I was just thinking like, all right, um, yeah, I think it makes sense that he was let go. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, some of these, you know, coaches hitting the open market, more so looking at Laviolette, if you want an experienced coach to help a young team kind of take strides, you look at, you know, an Islanders team in the early 2000s, Laviolette comes in there and they go from like a bottom five team to a playoff team that gives the Toronto Maple Leafs all they can handle in 2002. And, you know, maybe... Um, he can have that type of, you know, initial impact like he has had with, you know, the likes of Philadelphia and Nashville and early on in Washington as well. Or, you know, it could be a, a case of, you know, some of the key players, you know, hypothetically, don't know if this happened, but hypothetically, maybe some of the players don't like the coaching system or, yeah. you know, feel like a new approach might be needed. Um, I would imagine it was probably a combination of things that led to his departure, but he encountered some bad luck along the way. And uh, tough tough to see, you know, after a promising season that all that happened and uh, he, he takes the fall for it. <laughs> and now if Columbus doesn't win the lottery, he can't coach Bedard. So yeah, yeah, true. He, in, that, in that scenario, he loses twice. He doesn't have a job and he's not, uh, he's not the guy coaching uh, the next best thing in the league. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess, um, I mean, you could say that about... They have the third best odds, by the way, of yeah. of uh, getting Connor Bedard, I believe, the Blue Jackets. Yeah, I was going to say, you could say this about uh, Washington and Anaheim as well, but um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, um, yeah, I, I guess I guess there's that. I just feel, I feel like he, like... You could wash this season off with the fact that there's a ton of injuries and like even the best coach probably couldn't make this team into the play a playoff team. So you could say that, but then like you think like well they weren't really good last year either. Um, so so I, I think it's like all right, I, I guess it makes sense that he um, he get he has to go. Um, and Very we'll irrelevant note, but I just noticed the bottom four teams are separated by like two points, and mm-hmm. the bunch of teams in that situation with the lowest amount of wins is San Jose. Mm-hmm. And it's because of overtime shootout losses that San Jose is only fourth worst and not dead last. So that's just something I found pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so now we get into our playoff preview. Mm-hmm. Um, we usually do like players to watch for each series, but we started to realize that takes a lot of time. Um, and we want like this will probably as still as the teams go down. Maybe we'll bring it back. Yeah, we could for, bring it for back for this one right. where we got like eight series. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. This will probably still be a two-hour show, but we wanted to limit it as much <laughs> as possible. Um, yeah. Also, it's like um, usually I, I think I mentioned this last. Or a, a couple of episodes ago where it's like we always start with the Atlantic Division whenever we do these types of things so I wanted to start off with a different division just to mix things up um, but we're still going to start off with the Eastern Conference um, but we're going to start off in the Metro Division 
Um, and that's where the first seed Carolina uh, plays the wild card spot of the New York Islanders. Um, this is a this is an interesting uh, matchup because Carolina. Yes, I know that they're second in points in the entire league, not just um, in the Eastern Conference. But um, it's weird because they don't have Svechnikov, as we've mentioned. Uh, they don't have Pacioretty, um, as we've also mentioned before. Um, we've mentioned a lot of things. And, like, their goaltending is pretty shaky, actually. I was looking at this the other day. Um, they have Frederick Anderson, um, who will probably uh, be the starter for all these games. Um, but he has a 903 save percentage and a GAA of 2.48. Granted, he's been injured for half the year and only played in 34 games. Um, so, so there is something to that. But And ordinarily, it wouldn't shock me if Freddie Anderson becomes what we expect him to be. But that's kind of been the Achilles heel for Carolina this entire time. Um, on the skating side of things... Carolina, of course, has Martin Nikash, who's been a revelation uh, this this past season, or has his breakout year. Uh, 71 points in 82 games. Um, the second guy here is Sebastian Ajo. Of course, he's pretty good. 67 points in 75 games. Brent Burns, 61 points in 82 games. Um, I'm going to uh, skip Sveshnikov. Kotka Niemi has 43 points in 82 games. And then I guess lastly I'll mention uh, Seth Jarvis with 39 points in 82 games. Um, on the other side of things, the Islanders struggled at the first half of the year, but then they started to get going. Of course, they were helped by Bo Horvat, um, who ended up with 16 points in 30 games. Not terrible, but not great either. Um... But, uh, but then, uh, in terms of their leading point getter, 70, uh, they have Brock Nelson, who has 75 points in 82 games. Matthew Barzell, I think he's going to be set to play this year, um, or during this series, so that's going to be a huge help for them. I think that's what a lot of this uh, game, or this series, depends on. If Barzell is healthy... I think, or is ready, then you're you're working with a different team than um, a normal. Um, then, like, if you don't have Matt Barzell, then I feel like Carolina will definitely win this series. Um, but anyways, he had 51 points in 58 games this uh, when he was healthy. Um, Anders Lee is the next on this list with 50 points in 82 games. Then you got Noah Dobson with 49 points in 78 games. I didn't realize he was doing that well. Um, John Gabriel Peugeot with 40 points as well in 70 games. Um, the big star, though, with the Islanders, and a uh, big reason why I think the Islanders could make some noise, is um, Ilya Sorokin, who's their goaltender. He has a 924 save percentage, a 2.34 GAA. He went 31, 22, and 7. Um, he played in 62 games. Um, yeah, he's very good, um, and he's, like, you know, he's been, like, very hot the last two months of the year. Um, I think this actually does continue. Um, spoiler alert, I, I guess I'm gonna <laughs> go with my predictions first before 
you even have a chance to preview it. Um, I'm going to actually go with the Islanders in seven. Because uh, I think... Ripping the upset, eh? Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm starting early with the upset because I think, like, yeah, I'm probably going to regret this. But um, I think... Because uh, the reason is, is when I, as a Bruins fan, I was thinking, like, okay, who do I want to play? Um, who do I not want to face off against? Oh, so, so you're, Between, you're, you're going with the, with the homerism here. A little bit, because I definitely did not want to face Ilya Sorokin um, as a Bruins fan. Um, and I might, you know, regret this too, because the Panthers are no slouches, of course, either, and we'll get to that in a second. But, um, but yeah, I, I think the Islanders will, will make, put up a fight. I think the fact that Carolina doesn't have um, Andrei Sveshnikov is going to hurt them. They don't have Max Pacioretty. Um, I do like, you know, I obviously I'm not, wouldn't be shocked if I'm wrong on this prediction, but um, yeah, I, 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 I can definitely see this happening where the Islanders, and the Islanders are like built for the playoffs because their focus is more on the defense. It doesn't matter how many goals you score um, for the Islanders. They're just built for playoff hockey. Um, and that's, and I don't, necessarily think Carolina is built for playoff hockey so that's that's the other reason too is they're like they're much more defensive um, than pretty much every team in this in this playoff so I think they have the best chance they they could pull off this upset um all right anyways <laughs> what's your preview and uh, what what is your prediction well just Let's let's talk more about Ilya Sorokin because he's definitely going to be, when you look at this series in the grand scheme of things, in order for the Islanders to have any hope in hell of winning this series, uh, it's going to fall on his shoulders uh, 10 out of 10. Um, and just taking a look at uh, his numbers, um, top 10 in wins with 31 uh, um, in terms of shots against. Uh, one of the more battle-tested goalies in that department, he's sixth in shots faced. Uh, in terms of games started, only seven goaltenders started in 60-plus. Sorokin started exactly 60, so um, he's fifth on that list. 924 save percentage. And uh, keep in mind that his save percentage in his previous two seasons was 918 as a rookie and 925 last year when he picked up seven shutouts. He has six shutouts this year, and his GAA has actually gone down from 24 uh, last year to 2.34 this year. So he's definitely um, the, the backbone. He's the Cujo of the New York Islanders, you could say. Uh, the other guy that I want to focus in on for the Islanders is Bo Horvat. You know, you look at a guy that was, you know, taken out of a situation in Vancouver where it, towards the end, I would argue that the, cult, the culture was borderline toxic and... There was just a lot of losing. It wasn't a fun time at all. And he goes into a brand new building, pretty much, you know, second year in their new barn. And the Islanders are just super jazzed that he's there. He's committed long term. And he continues to score at will with the Islanders and continues to, regardless of the situation at hand, score big goals for this team. But you also have guys like Brock Nelson that uh, can get the job done as well. I looked at his stats um, a couple of weeks ago and was like, wow, you know what? 
Everyone's talking about Bull Horvat having a great year for the Islanders. Look at Brock Nelson go. Uh, he's been a solid, solid contributor for them, actually leading the team in scoring, as you said, uh, over 200 shots season and eight game winning goals. So, to his credit, Brock Nelson has been pretty good as well. I think Carolina overall has enough depth to get by the New York Islanders. And I think New York Islanders are definitely going to push it to at least six games, maybe seven, but I'm going to say Carolina in six for my prediction. I just think the depth, uh, even with some of the key injuries that they have, is enough to get by those Islanders teams. Uh, A team that, while they do have Horvat, while they do have Nelson, while they do have Matt Barzell, uh, I just don't think their depth scoring can hang with Carolina's yeah. best. And you also look at Marty Natchez in the season that he's had. Like Even without Sveshnikov, he's had the knack of scoring some big goals, in, especially in overtime. He's got a handful of overtime winners this year as well. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely think some of the struggles that you mentioned about Carolina will come up later in this playoffs and come back to bite them. But I don't think it bites them in round one. I think they're yeah. able to barely survive the Islanders. I will say that it, a lot of it also, does. Also, also, I will say, uh, Carolina, please win a game on the road this time because <laughs> uh, that didn't work last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say that a lot of this does depend on if Matthew Barzell is ready to go. Um, if he's not, then yeah, I, I think Carolina does win this. But, um, but I. I I, I think I, I made that prediction also thinking like, oh, Matt Barzal might be, like, because I heard rumblings that he might be back. So um, so that, that was that's also a part of my prediction as well. Um, all right. Um, actually, maybe I, sh- I, I think I learned from this time. I feel like there was less anticipation. Uh, so I'm gonna, we'll, we'll preview the game and then we'll both do our predictions at this, around the same time. Um, instead. Okay. Um, so the Rangers and the Devils is the next one that we're going to talk about. Uh, this is a pretty exciting one, um, or a pretty this exciting series. Man. This is actually of all the series that uh, uh, that yeah. that we're series of round at. one. I'm calling it right now. Yeah. This is a series of round one. Yeah, I think I think that's that's totally fair. because uh, it was pretty much just like. The Rangers kind of have been a pretty hot team uh, since they acquired uh, Patrick Kane and Vlad Tarasenko. Um, I will say that, let me look here, I think um, Patrick Kane ended up with um, 12 points in 19 games. I think Tarasenko with 21 points in 31 games uh, for the Rangers. Um, of course, their leading scorer for the Rangers is uh, Artemi Panarin with 92 points. Uh, then you got Mika Zibanejad with 91 points. Um, then Adam Fox with 72 points. Then you have Vincent Trocek with 64 points. Chris Kreider with 54. Um, Philip Hedl with 45. The Kid Line uh, with uh, Kakao at 40 points and Lafreniere with 39 points um, as well. Um, and then in terms of goalie, 
Uh, Shashurkin was struggling at the beginning of the year, but he started to figure things out towards the end, and he's back to what we expected Shashurkin to be. Uh, As we all know, he could. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't, like, so shocking uh, that this is what happened. Like, oh my god, he's going through a cold streak! This is impossible! He's a robot, this can't happen. Exactly. So given that, um, his stats aren't as impressive as they should be, but... Still, 916 city percentage and a 2.48 uh, GAA with 37, 13, and 8. That's not bad. I I haven't I checked notes. Better than I a lot of other number good. ones yeah. in the league. I think that's pretty good. I'm um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, yeah. And then yeah, on the other are that <laughs> exactly. Then on the other hand, you have uh, the New Jersey Devils. Um. This is when I feel like both Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer finally figured things out. Like, there was always glimpses in the past seasons of these two, like, figuring out, but then they get injured, uh, or they start to have some type of cold streak, but they've been very hot all year round. Um, I think there was a time when Jack Hughes did miss some time, and I was like, oh, here we go again, where Jack Hughes (laughs) misses another time. But instead... He has 99 points in 78 games. Um, again, pretty good. Um, and uh, he's also, um, uh, I, I believe, uh, we didn't mention this on the show, but he has the most points in franchise history for the Devils. Um, but he didn't make that 100 points yet. But, of course, like 99 points is not, not a bad for Jack Hughes. Um, in his fourth year in the league. Um, Nico Heischer uh, also almost had a point per game, uh, but 80 points in 81 games. Um, I think that's that would be considered a success as well. Um, that's, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, Dougie Hamilton with 74 points in 82 games. Then he got Jesper Bratt with 73 points in 82 games. Dawson Mercer... Um, has been decent at times, 56 points in 82 games. I remember there was, like, a streak where Dawson Mercer scored, like, a goal in, like, seven straight games or something like that. It was incredible. Um, Then you got Thomas Tatar with 48 points in 82 games, Eric Holla with 41 points in 80 games, Damon Severson, who was struggling early on, but now he's getting going again, 30 points, uh, 33 points in 81 games. Um, I do want to admit, I thought I... Oh, Luke Hughes, um, he did play two games um, at the end there. Uh, two points in two games, so not bad uh, for Luke Hughes. I assume we'll see him. Um, and another player I want to mention is Andre Palat with uh, 23 points in 49 games. Um, he's usually a playoff monster um, yep. uh, for the for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and this time he's on another team. So I am wondering if his playoff luck will... Uh, continue on a new team. Um, on the goaltending side of things, um, a big reason why the Devils were uh, made that leap this year was through this guy named Vitek Vanacek, um, who was, of course, previously on Washington, but he kind of became the guy um, this year. Um, and yeah, he has a save percentage of 9.11 um, and a GAA of 2.45. Um, his record is 33, 11, and 4. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I think that's that's kind of ultimately where this this leads us because the Devils, um, 
as good as Vanacek has been and a big reason why the Devils took that extra step, as I mentioned, it's still like, how good can he be when it matters? Um, and that's going to be the big question for this Devils team. So uh, what is your preview on this series before we get into predictions? Well, first things first, uh, this is a defining series for New Jersey for three players. Hmm. Nico Heischer, who was drafted first overall in 2017. Timo Meyer, who they paid a fair bit to get in the trade deadline. And Dougie Hamilton, who they paid a lot in free agency to get after promising seasons throughout his career in Boston, in Calgary, in Carolina. Um, These three guys are veterans with a lot of pressure on their shoulders to perform and all of them absolutely need to perform this is this is the series where they have to step up and be the driving force of their offense and throughout the course of regular season Brett as you mentioned they have been Timo Meyer got 40 goals yep. this year Nico Heischer if it's not a career year it's definitely close and Dougie Hamilton not only was he producing but he was also you know, knock on wood, healthy throughout the course of the regular season, and they need him to be a healthy, consistent producer for them uh, in this big playoff series because this is a titanic matchup, and the Rangers are going to match punt for punch. Uh, you look at a pair of youngsters in Jesper Brad and Jack Hughes, um, you know, being on teams that, you know, have a lot of young talent but haven't been able to put it all together This is the best chance they have currently to change the narratives. Now they can add, you know, playoff performer to their hockey LinkedIn page. Uh, You mentioned Andre Palat being that proven playoff performer for Tampa Bay. He needs to be that for New Jersey um, because you look at the Rangers experience and what they have. And as you mentioned, Luke Hughes, I could see him being an X factor for this team like Kale McCarr was for the Avs in 2019 when they put a lot of teams on notice there. Uh, in terms of the Rangers' depth scoring, I think that's going to be pivotal to their success. Uh, and uh, the two experienced forwards that they got, Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko, definitely play a role in that. Igor Shesterkin has to be a beast because if you ask me who has the significant edge and goal, it's definitely the Rangers if Shesterkin's on his game. Um, I think in terms of the type of caliber of goalies you're dealing with, um, Shashurkin is ranked higher than Vanacek. And if he plays like he did against the Penguins in round one last year, um, Vanacek's got a lot to live up to there, especially if the Rangers offense continues to up the ante. And then on the back end, the two guys that I focus on for the Rangers are Adam Fox, yes, from an offensive side of thing, but and you could also say Keandre Miller. He's been an underrated part of their blue line and uh, Lengren at times as well. But Jacob Truba quietly has done a little bit of everything. He blocks a lot of shots. He makes a lot of hits. And in that Calgary game earlier this year, a lot of bone-crushing hits that uh, wake up his team and piss off the other. And um, he can also, you know, chip in with the odd assist or two. Um, that, uh, That shot from the blue line is also pretty lethal as well. Um, so Truba is definitely going to be the Rangers' X factor there. Am I going to say this is like 1994? No, because this yeah. is the first round series, not the Eastern Conference Finals. But I will say it's going to be top three series in this playoff run across all four rounds, and it's going to be an all-time NHL classic when it's all said and done. 
Uh, I'll obviously wait for my predictions to say how much of a classic it is. Yeah. But we're going to be talking about this for years to come, Brett. Yeah, I guess I guess you can start it off with what what is your prediction here? Well, uh, similar to 94, I'm taking Rangers in seven. Okay. Uh, I think their playoff experience is going to outlast New Jersey in the end. Uh, but Jer- New Jersey can hold their heads up high, uh, knowing that uh, they're closer than they've been in a long, long time to getting to the yep. top of the NHL summit. And they're only going to get better from here. But for this series, I'm taking the Rangers. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention, I, I think you did mention it, but uh, just in case, uh, Timo Meyer, 14 points in 21 games. Um, also, I just realized, too, that uh, we have uh, two American first overall picks in this matchup with Patrick Kane and Jack Hughes. Um, That's true. Um, two different eras as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, Austin Matthews, I guess there's a potential that uh, one of these teams faces off Austin, against Austin Matthews in the Eastern that's Conference Finals. That's true, yeah. Um, Good point. That's Good definitely point. possible. But, um, yeah, I, I think, um, I, I agree. I think this is going to be a long series. Um, it's going to be the one that I'm looking the most forward to as well. Yeah. Um, I think I might just be swayed because of the fact that the Bruin, uh, the, the Bruins, the Rangers were very hot once they got Patrick Kane and Vlad Tarasenko, and it seems like Shosturkin needed that boost as well. Um, also, the kid line, I think there's something special about that as well. So I'm going to go with the Rangers in seven as well. Um, I think the, they will edge out, but it's it's going to be a long series for sure. It should also be noted that New Jersey, I would say, has played playoff caliber hockey, even though they did finish a bit better than the New York Rangers. You look at how close the NHL standings were. Um, the, the NHL standings, like you look at a lot of the division races, yeah. the Metropolitan was separated by a point. The Devils and the Rangers were separated by five points. But, you know, the Devils got 112, the Rangers got 107, so those are still pretty good campaigns. Uh, you had the wild card not separated by much uh, in the East. In the Central, it was decided on the final day, Colorado edges Dallas by a point, and Vegas and Edmonton were separated by two points yeah. uh, when Vegas finally claimed the division in the final days of the season. So, like, a lot of these teams, you know, you could say, ah, well... You know, they were in playoff positions for quite a bit. Yeah, but they were battling for a lot even after they clinched a playoff spot. They were battling probably to, you know, maybe not face a certain team. Like, in the West, it's just like anyone but Colorado. Right. And, you know, for the Devils, it's just like, uh, please, can we avoid the Rangers yeah. and just win this division? Right. Um, it didn't happen that way, but... Um, if you're going into the battlefield and you know what the situation is like, you're, you're playing intense uh, pressure-packed atmospheres heading into the playoffs, and to an extent, I think that's going to help them. Mm-hmm. And for a team that hasn't been to the playoffs since 2018, for a young team who, you know, for some of these guys haven't played in the playoffs before, uh, this is definitely a good measuring stick playing in those high tens games late in the season, and that's yeah. as close to playoff experience as they have right now. So, yep, uh, you got to get your experience where you can get. It. Yep. All right. So now we move on to the Atlantic Division here, um, and we go with the Bruins and the Florida Panthers. Um, <laughs> the Bruins uh, ended up with the most points ever 
Uh, they beat out. I, re, I think we. I don't know if I mentioned this on the show, but the reason why they met, uh, they kept on mentioning that '77 Montreal Canadiens team um, was because they had the most points in the NHL, um, and that was a team that didn't even have the the shootout, um, and so they they had tie games and stuff. But they beat those Montreal Canadiens out. Um, and they also, it was just funny, I, I, I don't think I emailed this to you, but the, the Bruins played their last game in Montreal, um, and Montreal was like, like the, the Bruins were like putting in their like B team, I didn't even watch most of the game, and then, um, and like they were losing by like 2-1 to one or something, or maybe it was 3-1. 3-2 to one. Um, three, two after 2, yeah, that three, much two. I do know. And then, um, and then I start to like, um, you know, because I was watching. I think I was watching basketball at this point because I was just like, all right, well, like we we don't have a ton of our players. So it's like whatever. It's like I don't even care. We have the record just get already. Get out of here! Yeah. Don't don't get hurt. And then, then just everyone get on the bus and go home. And then all of a sudden, because I have this like goal tracker that I follow on most nights, um, it's usually helpful yeah. whenever I, you know, for fantasy hockey purposes, but. Um, anyways, I was just like looking um, back about like right before I was about to go to bed, and I like was looking at this goal tracker. And I was just like, "Wait, the Bruins somehow won!" <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> "Like passing oh, yeah, action spoke." Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like it was just crazy, um, and I was just like, "Oh wow, okay." So it's 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 just something where it's like funny. It's like, oh, the Bruins are trying. So like. They just figured, like, yeah, we probably shouldn't win this game, but, like, we don't really care if we win this game or not. But And then, and then all of a sudden, there's, like, third period, they're like, you know what, let's just score, because the, these are the Montreal Canadiens. Um, so I, it was pretty funny from my perspective, where it's like, wait, the Bruins won? <laughs> like, what's going on? But, um, but anyways... Back to uh, the schedule program. I could pretty much list half the team in terms of scores for the Bruins, but I won't. Um, but I will mention David Pasternak has 113 points in 82 games. Brad Marchand, who actually surprisingly, I don't know if you knew this, Steve, but he went on like a 13-game pointless streak and no one noticed. Um, he still finished with 67 points in 73 games. But uh, yeah, there was a there was a period where he wasn't scoring a lot. Um, but yeah, he's he, on my fantasy team, and I was yeah. I was thinking, oh, hey, yeah, Marshawn's yeah. looking really quiet here, but I didn't realize it was thirteen games. But what's yeah? Or I forget it was a long period of time. It may not have been thirteen games, but yeah, it was, it was over a point per yeah. game like early on in the season when he started. But yeah. but that's how that's how good the Bruins have been because like Brad Marshawn, like usually let, let's say the Bruins weren't winning all these games. That would be like the talk of all these Bruins fans, and I didn't even realize that Brandon Sean hadn't been scoring lately, because you got guys like Pavel Zaka with fifty-seven points in eighty-two games, David Krejci fifty-six points in seventy games, Hampus Lindholm with fifty-three points in eighty games, Charlie McAvoy, of course, we talk about him a lot, but fifty-two points in sixty-seven games, Jake DeBrusque with fifty. Also, points. my fantasy team, by the way, just yeah, that he's over. good too. Uh, 60, 50 points in sixty-four games. Uh, Charlie Coyle with 45 points in 82 games. Taylor Hall with 36 points in 61 games. The last one I'm going to mention, uh, Trent Frederick with 31 points in 79 games. Trent Frederick, by the way, plays on the fourth line usually 
31 points somehow in 79 Vinny, games. I think he, was, he got like 17 goals as well. Like yeah, close yeah. to a 20-goal season for him, too. Yeah, he's very good. Um, and, um, and like even like Tyler Bertuzzi, who they got um, because Taylor Hall yeah. was injured. And now that Taylor Hall's back, we'll see what happens there. But Tyler Bertuzzi... Well, he's been picking up late. I yeah. One of the adversaries in my league has Bertuzzi, yep. and he was... Starting to get points, I'm just like, ah, Tyler, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> I don't want him to catch me. Please don't. Yeah, but yeah, he has uh, 16 points in 21 games as well. Um, so, yeah. um, um, of course, that's all. Like, he played in Detroit, of course, but uh, but in, in the Bru- I'm counting the Bruins games. I mean, by the way, when I mentioned Timo Meyer and Patrick Kane, that those were the points just on their new teams. Um, but there's that. Um, another reason why the Bruins are doing really, really well is uh, their goaltending. Linus Olmark is a 1.89 GAA, incredible save percentage of 938. That's basically what Shesterkin was doing last year. Uh, 40 wins, six losses, and one overtime loss. Um, there was a point, um, I think it was the second to last game where Olmark looked like he pulled something, um, and he was taken out and I was a little bit worried, even though the Bruins ended up winning. Um, but it looks like that was just a precautionary thing for, for the Bruins and he's fine. However, this did remind me that, uh, like Olmark's always been pretty good. It was just his injury concern. That was the big knock on him and now that he's healthy like this these are the numbers that you're seeing out of him and i don't think anyone expected him to be this good but ultimately it's like he was like if you look at his numbers in buffalo it it was it's pretty good despite the record um and um so like it's nice to see that like ultimately when linus olmark is healthy he's very very good and hard to stop um and um, if Olmark is injured, it's not a huge deal for the Bruins because you have another guy who's also really good in Jeremy Swayman. Uh, he has a 2.27 GAA and a save percentage of 920. Uh, he went. Uh, By the way, I should mention at the start of the year, out of the gate, sorry to interject. It's fine. Uh, Swayman struggled. Yep. Fair. And then bounced back and yep. started winning again. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I remember I was mentioning, like, you know, we have the luxury of me being a Bruins fan and we talk about the Bruins a lot. So I do remember I mentioned, like, oh, yeah, Swayman is the only concern, like, factor that I'm concerned about. But, yeah, it turns out that Swayman is, uh, he kind of figured things out. Um, So it's like, even if Olmark is, like, maybe not 100%, I, I'm still confident that the Bruins can make a huge playoff push um, in um, with Jeremy Sir, uh, Swayman at the helm there. Um, so so yeah, it's just really funny. Of course, um, yeah. What's what's really funny is when you look at the goaltending's standings here. Linus Oldmark uh, led the league in goals against average, um, as he should. But then you have Jeremy Swayman um, finished fourth in GAA, um, and that's the same for the save percentage as well. So, um, so that's that's the funny part there. Um, 
uh, where it's like, oh, right, like, okay, you don't have your best goalie, but you also have, now you have, like, the third best goalie um, in the league, um, technically speaking, or if, if you don't count Walmart there. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyways, um, and then when we go to Florida, um, Matty Kachuk, um, he finished with 109 points in 79 games. Uh, you have Barkov with 78 points in 68 games. Uh, Carter Verhage with 73 points in 81 games. I didn't realize he was doing that well. Uh, Brandon Montour. Two goals as well for Verhage. Yeah. That's the big part. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, Brandon Montour with 73 points. I also didn't realize he was doing that well. I knew he was doing well. I didn't realize that well. Um, he's he's having a career yeah. year to end all career years. 73 points in 80 games. Sam Reinhart with 67 points in 82 games. Um, then you get into, like, the category of, like, okay, these are, like, middling guys, but we'll see. E2 Lewis Reinen with 43 points in 82 games. Gustav Forsling with 41 points in 82 games. Not bad for a defenseman. Then you got Sam... Also had a 200-shot season, Forsling. Yeah, good well. point. Um, Sam Bennett with 40 points in 63 games. Um, Aaron Ekblad with 38 points in 71 games, and Anton Lindell with 33 points in 73 games. Um, what's, what's interesting about the gold te- uh, the goaltending for the Florida Panthers is, yes, you have a $10 million guy in Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, not doing so hot, 901 save percentage and a 3.07 GAA. Uh, fin- he had a record of 24-20-3. Not great, of course. Not bad either. Um, Spencer Knight, he's now in an assistive program. Um, so then uh, they call up this guy named Alex Lyon. They call him the Lion King, which I think is really funny. Um, he yeah, went. That's pretty good. Uh, but this was a big reason why the Florida Panthers were able to uh, yep. get into the playoffs is because uh, Alex Lyon had. Um, he finished. He only played in 15 games, to be fair, but he went 9-4-2 with a 2.89 GAA and a save percentage of 9-14. Um, and honestly, like, you know, the Panthers' offense was never the issue. Um, like, yeah, we, we had thought before this year that they might be hindered a lot by Jonathan Huberto um, and and uh, also not having uh, Mackenzie Weegar, but... Matty Kajuk, uh, he outplayed Jonathan Huberto, um, and also Brandon Montour uh, was incredible, and so, like, um, he kind of outplayed uh, Mackenzie Wiegar, even though Wiegar is more of a shutdown guy, um, and you would think... He outplayed a lot of people yeah. on that Calgary team, to be Yeah, fair. that's true, too. That's, that's a good point, too, yeah. And also, like, Aaron Eichblad, you thought might take that step as well. Um, he hasn't been as good, but... Like, it wasn't the trade that did them in. It was really the goaltending. Um, so, if you can get, like, you know, however good Alex Lyon is, like, we'll see. He was, like, he was kind of okay in Philadelphia, if I remember. But, um, but yeah, if, if Alex Lyon can can be decent for Florida, then you're, you're really cooking with something. Um, and it doesn't matter how much you get paid or how much hype you have. Um, cause he's neither of those things compared to the other goalies there, but, um, but yeah, Alex Lyon could 
steal a couple games there um, against even the Boston Bruins. Um, it's very possible. Um, so it's not like I, I'm okay. Yeah, I guess I should save my um, my my predictions uh, till the end. But yeah, what, what's your preview of this team of this series? Uh, so last year, Florida won the President's Trophy, uh, barely got past the Capitals in the first round, and when it came time to face a real team in Tampa Bay, they got swept and barely scored a goal. Uh, they're going up against the current President's Trophy champions, who have two of the best goalies in the league, teaming up to win the William Jennings Trophy for the best goalie team yep. in the league. Uh, won the President's that. Trophy like four weeks before the regular season yep. ended. Yeah, Pavel Saka, as you mentioned, Jake DeBrask having stellar underrated seasons, Tyler Berduzzi really picking it up since the trade from Detroit. Yeah, they don't have Felino. Yeah, they don't have Forbort. Maybe they don't have Bergeron for game one. Who freaking cares? They're loaded. And the thing about the Boston Bruins that um, separates themselves from a lot of other teams is their work ethic, their ability to be calm, cool, and collected under pressure and find ways to get results regardless of the situation at hand. Her locker room is one of the strongest locker rooms in the entire National Hockey League. Not an exaggeration. It's, in my opinion, it's fact. And the thing is, if you're Florida, you've got to outwork the Boston Bruins. And I think the only way you beat the Boston Bruins is in a seven-game series. So now the task becomes... Can we outwork the Boston Bruins in a seven-game series? And while I think they will put up a pretty good effort, I don't think they can outwork the Bruins because that's a very tall order to really make a team, you know, feel uncomfortable. I think the Bruins are a team that has a lot of veteran leadership where in those uncomfortable situations, they rise above. We've mentioned the Calgary game a couple of times where Linus Ulmerk stands on his head and they find a way to get the win. Uh, just games like that where Boston uh, has that X factor, the resolve, the resiliency to get those big wins, those big goals when they need them. Uh, Florida doesn't have that it factor at the moment. Down the line, I think they could certainly develop it, but last year's playoffs, I think this was a team that relied on talent to bail them out in a lot of situations. I definitely don't think they're soft, as Keith Kachuk said about a month ago, but I definitely don't think they have what it takes to outlast the Bruins in a seven-game series. Um, so um, if this is the point where I give out my prediction, I'll make it quick and snappy. I think Florida gets a moral victory, and they don't get swept. Yeah. But this is ending in five games, and the Bruins are going to end it. Yeah, okay. Interesting. I... I'm going to give Florida a little bit more credit, and I think they're going to win one more game than you thought. Um, so I have the Bruins in six. Uh, I can see all games being yeah. close, by the way, and maybe yes. some going to overtime, but yep. if Boston's, in the grand scheme of things, going to have more than enough to I, get past them. I also look forward to the two biggest trash talkers in the league um, in the same series <laughs> with Matty Kachuk yes, and Brad Mark. That's a very good point. Marshall and Kachuk going it all series will be fun. And if you add in, like, uh, Trent Frederick and Tyler Pachuzzi in there, too, yeah. it's like, okay. <laughs> like, you have a lot of guys like that. Um, I also forgot to mention that um, I forget, like, usually I do, like,
like a like I named the series of guys who played on both teams, um, and I didn't really have that for a lot of these uh, series, but I, I did have. So I'll do them now. Uh, Carolina and the Islanders is the Sebastian Ajo series, technically speaking, because they both have a Sebastian Ajo in their on their uh, team. I'll give you that's good. That's funny. Okay. Uh, the Rangers and the Devils, um, I'm sure there is some old-time guy who played on both teams, but I figured because Jersey and uh, New York are separated by the Hudson River, I'm calling this the Hudson River series, um, Yeah. Boston and Florida, I mean, technically it's like, it's not a player, but whatever, um, <laughs> Boston and Florida, I'm calling this the Riley Smith uh, series. Um, and or that, Sean Thornton. Sean Thornton's another one, yeah. Uh, Tim Thomas as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tim Thomas, go with that yeah, one. Yeah, I guess that's, we could do that too, yeah. Uh, and then we'll do Toronto and Tampa Bay. I think there is an obvious one. I'm just not thinking of that one. Of Luke like, Shen. Luke Shen. Luke Shen, yeah, that's a good one. Um, for some reason I thought, uh, why did I... Oh, Joe Thornton. Oh, no, wait. Thornton didn't play for the Lightning. Never mind. <laughs> But yeah, Luke Shen will go with him. Um, okay, uh, so so they uh, this is this has been kind of hyped for a long time. This is uh, another series I'm looking forward to. Um, I because I I mean I think for the longest time it was just Boston, Toronto, and Tampa Bay, um, and. Um, and yeah, those are the three teams in the East, and not to take or in the Atlantic, and not to take away anything from the other teams in the Atlantic. But these were like the teams that were way ahead of the other other teams in the Atlantic. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's interesting because um, wait, did they? I forget what. No, oh yeah, they did play last year too, because uh, Florida was the one seed. Um, as well, but um, the in terms of Toronto's and their players, uh, you have Mitch Marner finished uh, leading the team in points with ninety nine points in eighty games. Uh, Willie Nylander with eighty seven points in eighty two games. Austin Matthews with eighty five points in seventy four games. Um, he did finish with forty goals, but a little bit of a disappointing season for Matthews. Uh, based off of what he was able to do last year. But, I mean, he did miss um, roughly eight games, but still, it seems like it was a, a little bit of a disappointing season for Matthews, even though it's like 85 points in 74 games would be a dream for a lot of players. Um, anyways, John Tavares with 80 points in 80 games. Uh, then he got... Uh, Michael Bunting, who I don't, I don't think we talked about this on the show, but apparently Sheldon Keith was complaining that Michael Bunting doesn't get calls like he should get calls or something like that. Well, yeah, because the rest apparently yeah. uh, don't like him. Yeah, which is which is <laughs> and weird. That's been yeah. the subject of Steve Dangle rants for uh, yeah. two months now, I think. Yeah, but it's, it's weird. It's like it's a weird thing because it's like. Michael Bunting, like, yeah, he's a good player and all, but, like, he's not, like, deserving of that. Like, I remember... He complains too much. Yeah. He, he chirps the rest too much. And but, like, that gets him in their bad books. Yeah, that that's fair, but I feel like a lot of... You could say that about a lot of players. Um, 
And yeah, but he does it a lot, though. Yeah, but I, I again, I feel like you could say this about a lot of players, and it's like you know, if you're an Austin Matthews level player, then yeah, you sh- you should probably get that superstar treatment. You shouldn't get that if you're I mean, Michael. Bunkin. There was there was a time where he got he he, he got hit by. Um, it was a it was a Habs Leafs game and the score was out of hand. Like this was a couple weeks ago, yeah. where everything was predetermined. The Leafs are going to the playoffs. The Habs yeah. are going to finish in the bottom ten, and this game didn't really mean anything. And Bunting is the clear recipient, you know, of right. a of a late shot or whatever, and a scrum ensues, and Bunting gets a penalty. Yeah, I guess. And I, and I think Toronto was actually shorthanded in that situation too. <laughs> I, I guess Habs started it. I guess my point is, is more that if Michael Bunting played in Columbus or played in um, Arizona, where he used to play for, like, like no one would, he wouldn't be talked about like this. But because it's Toronto, that's where the most attention is leaned towards. This is where you play for. But like, you could say this about any player, pretty much. Um, anyway, well, it's a narrative as well for Keith because it's just like you know what. Like, do you really want to test Tampa's power play? Yeah. If he just like Fair. flinches or whatever, and he gets two minutes, yeah. Like, you know, that's a negative for his team. Like, he's True. He's, he's trying to play True. the refs in the sense it's just like, hey, this. Like, yeah. if he if he like Fair. if you have to call him because you know that's a penalty, fine, whatever. But those ticky tack stuff, um, cut it out, please. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's a fair point, but it's just more of like I feel like you could say that about a lot of players. Um, it also reminds me back when uh, Nazem Kadri, um, he, w- he used to be back when yep. he was on the Leafs. Yep. He used to be very good at drawing penalties, um, but he was also like a fiery guy, and that that got him in trouble in the playoffs. So it's, it's sometimes that's not a great thing to do to be as well. If you can draw penalties, you can just as easily get pen- be penalized as well. Um, and that puts a target on your back. Anyways, uh, back to your regularly scheduled program, and not leaf stock here. Uh, Morgan Riley with 41 points in 65 games. Uh, Kelly Yarncrock, um, I thought he had more points than this, but I guess um, he does have 20 goals, but 39 points in yep. 73 games. I just remember seeing him on my goal tracker every now and then. I'm like, oh, right, I should pick him up. Because yeah, he's down the really... stretch, he's been good. Yeah, the yeah. past month, he's been good, very yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, then you got uh, Alexander Kerfoot with 32 points in 82 games. Um, and then David Kampf um, with 27 points in 82 games. Um, as for goaltending, um, yeah, I, I guess I was pretty cri- critical of Matt Mur- the Matt Murray trade uh, when that happened. Um, he hasn't, I mean, he kind of has struggled a little bit now, uh, but he's only played in 26 games. Um, and he won 14, lost 8, um, and went into overtime and lost there uh, twice. Um, but he did have a finish with a 3 uh, flat um, in a GAA and a 9.03 save percentage. Uh, the real goalie for the Toronto Maple Leafs is Ilya Samsonov. Um, he, has, he went 27, 10, and 5. 2.33 GAA and a save percentage of 9.19. Um, so, so there's that. Um, and then on the Tampa Bay side of things, um, Kucherov uh, finished with 113 points um, in a full season. A Braden point with 95 points in a full season. 
Then you got Steven Stamkos with 84 points in 81 games. Brandon Hagel with 64 points in 81 games. So quite a big drop-off from the first three to the to the next couple of guys. Uh, then you got Mikhail Sergachev with 64 points. Oh, wow, he outpointed um, Victor Hedman. Interesting. 64 points in 79 games. Although, oh wait, no, I guess, yeah, Victor Hedman still kind of struggled a little bit, I guess. Because um, you got Killhorn with 64 points in 82 games, then Victor Hedman with 49 points in 76 games. Um, Ross Colton as well um, with 32 points in 81 games. And last, uh, I guess these next two I'll mention, um, you got Anthony Sorelli with uh, 29 points in 58 games and Nicholas Paul with 32 points in 80 games. I am curious at how Tanner Janot went after, or played after Tampa acquired him for a lot of picks. Ended up with four points in 20 games. So, yeah, totally working out for them. Um, anyways, um, the, the real reason why Tampa Bay has been so good in so many years um, is because of Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, and this year was no different. Um, he had a 9.15 save percentage and a 2.65 GAA. Uh, he went 34, 22, and 4. So not bad for Vasilevsky because he plays 60 games a year. And not a lot of goalies do that nowadays. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting matchup because it's like, it's, um, you know, a team that is battle-tested, does this fairly often um, in the Tampa, Tampa Bay Lightning. And, like, even though they didn't have a great regular season, they usually pick it up a gear um, it come playoff time. Um, however, it's like, you know, they're not the same team as they once were. So it's like, it's very, it's very possible that Tampa Bay might not be doing it this year. Uh, Toronto, it's kind of the opposite. They're, they're usually very good in the regular season. Um, however, they haven't been able to make it out of the first round um, since the lockout era, um, which is incredible when you really think about it. Um, I yeah, I guess I guess we'll do uh, yeah. What's your what's your preview of this, and then we'll do predictions. So my preview uh, for this is that Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are getting hot at the right time, uh, regardless of Matt Murray's status. Ilya Samsonov down the stretch has looked pretty good, and even more so, Joseph Wolf in this in the games that he has started, he has also put in some good efforts for Toronto, which if they need him in a pinch is going to be very, very helpful. Um, if they don't need Joseph Wall, um, he's going to be with the Toronto Marlies as uh, part uh, of whatever playoff run they go on. Uh, so he's had a remarkable year, by the way. If you look at his minor league stats, uh, they're pretty impressive. Um just the way that the Leafs have been able to add uh, Ryan O'Reilly coming back from that freak injury. Um, he's back just in time for the playoffs. Nola Chari and the gritty toughness that he provides kind of like a guy that uh, eliminates the Perry and Maroon factor that I think could cause the Leafs problems if they didn't have a Chari on their squad. Um, I think he kind of nullifies that a little bit. On the back end, you have that shutdown defenseman and Jake McCabe that, um, you know, is going to be filling in the shoes of Jake Muzzin. Uh, and assuming Muzzin doesn't come back, it's a good thing moving forward that they have McCabe in the system as well. Uh, you mentioned Callie Yarncroke. I think he's probably a top six option. 
uh, depending on how he feels about uh, bunting and his play, uh, his performance, uh, you know, what the refs think of all that. Um, I think, you know, throughout various points of the series, Yarn Croak is going to be getting uh, top six minutes. And down the stretch, in those situations, when he's gotten them, uh, Yarn Croak has been able to make the most of it, which is great. And I think you're starting to see Morgan Riley slowly get out of the first half funk that he was in, and injuries didn't help with that. Um, but uh, definitely not the best of seasons for Morgan Riley. Same, you know, on the other side with Victor Hedman as well. Um, it, there's definitely a lot of question marks with Toronto, but I don't think they're as glaring as the question marks in Tampa Bay. Uh, when I look at Tampa Bay in the past four to six weeks, I see a team that's kind of looking sluggish at times. They're making mistakes they don't normally make. They're flat-footed. There was that uh, giveaway, uh, I think it was on the Igor Sokolov goal, his first NHL goal uh, as a, an, an Ottawa Senator, um, I think in one of Tampa's final games of the season. Just a couple of awful, awful misplays on the Tampa D uh, in that game against Ottawa. A very winnable game for Tampa, I might add. And there were just some glaring, glaring defensive errors that they made that ended up in their net. And if that happened with Brian Elliott in net, boy, if the Leafs get to Andre Vasilevsky and they have to, and Tampa has to go to Brian Elliott, that's a very bad sign if you're Tampa Bay. Um, because unless it's a back-to-back, Vasilevsky is starting every single game. That's not to say, you know, Brian Elliott is washed. Um, I think it's just a fact of, you know, an aging goaltender not uh, being trusted to handle those minutes anymore. And Vasilevsky is the undisputed number one goalie. And similar to Tampa Bay, everyone else on that team, uh, Vasilevsky has faced a ton of shots over the years, not much rest. And, you know, eventually fatigue is going to set in with him as well. In fact, if you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning and some of the huge offensive seasons that some of their players have put up, uh, you look at Nikita Kucherov with 113 points, minus two on the season. Demon Stankos with 84 points, a minus five. Right in point with 51 goals, 95 points. It's only a plus two. And then you look at Brandon Hagel, and he's a plus 23 and a 30-goal scorer. But anyway, you, you kind of get the point. There was just some flaws in Tampa's game it, this year, heading into this year's playoffs, that I don't think really were as present uh in 2022, in 2021, in 2020, when, you know, they were just about as rested as everyone else mm-hmm. after that long layover from COVID-19. Um, you know, they played a lot of hockey. And I think the combination of hunger and determination and just all-around experience in a wide range of angles of uh, the Leafs definitely have the edge in this series and a bigger edge than some people might think. Yeah, I think it's more of just like, is the playoff experience going to be the big factor here? It's like, you know, you would like to think that Toronto now has enough playoff experience to get out of the first round, but... You would hope they do, yeah. With yeah. Jubas's job on the line probably yeah. as well, because he's going to need a new contract after this right. year ends. Right, you would think, but you're you're still not sure exactly if if that's going to yeah. be the thing or not. But yeah, in any case, um, so uh, I guess I will go first, and I will say I'm going to yeah. I think Toronto will go over the hump um, and make it out of the first round. This is the year, Toronto in seven. 
is my yeah. prediction here. Yeah, and that's my prediction as well. Okay. Uh, Toronto in seven. Uh, like I said, fatigue at various points is going to catch up with Tampa, especially when you consider also that the Leafs, by a wide margin, have home ice advantage in this yeah. series. They were they had a double-digit point lead in the standings over Tampa Bay. And the fact that they get last change in games one, two, five, and seven of a seven-game series, especially the first and the last one, if this series does in fact go to the distance and they get last change, that matters in a series this close. Yeah. So e- even though Tampa did win game seven <laughs> in yeah. Toronto, True. Um, if you if you look at how the series went, home ice advantage to an extent did play a factor. Um, and, and certainly in game one with that big statement win that the Leafs had last year, um, you know, if you add a bunch of fatigue to Tampa's side and, you know, all of a sudden they could be down 2 nothing yeah. going back home, which is not a position any team wants to be in, especially yeah. when you played all that hockey. Um, it's just going to suck for Toronto if they're just like, ah, we won a playoff series. Oh, we get the Bruins next. Right, right, right. Great. Yeah. Haven't seen this before. Yeah, exactly. Um, now they're just going to end their season in May. Right, right, right. We'll see. Um, but, uh, okay. Uh, so now we get to the Pacific Division. Yeah, uh, not the not the Central like we usually do. Um, but we've entered into the Western Conference here. Um, <laughs> so the first series we have here is Vegas Golden Knights versus the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I was trying to find... A player who played on both the Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, the Golden Knights picked Chris Thorburn uh, w- uh, during the expansion draft. However, I was looking at his stats. He never actually played a game in uh, for Vegas for whatever reason. Um, and then I was like, <laughs> that put me into like a whole uh, rabbit hole where I was looking at Vegas's current roster and Winnipeg's current roster. All stats name. Oh, why didn't I think of Paul Stasny? That's perfect. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, like, wait, I thought, like, Ben Hutton went played for Winnipeg. I thought, like, Brandon Dillon, because he seems like a Vegas guy. I thought maybe he played Dylan DeMello. I was thinking, like, oh, of course, Paul Stasny. Why didn't I think of that? That's the perfect one. Okay. I think Mark Stone was born in Manitoba, so yeah. that kind of works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's from Winnipeg, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. I guess that could kind of work, yeah. I mean, if we're going to count Sebastian Ajo in this little thing, or the Hudson River, then yes, we'll, we'll, we'll take that, too. Um, wait till you get to Mark the... Stone's expected uh, to be yeah. back at some point this series, by the way, which is huge for Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Also, wait till, you get, till we get to the Dallas and Minnesota, because I have two loopholes, basically. Um, okay. But, uh, anyways, um, Vegas, uh, in terms of their actual stats, um, Jack Eichel uh, led the team in points, which is impressive because he only played in 67 games. Uh, he finished with 66 games in 67 games. This is kind of what we expected out of Jack Eichel. Um, of course, we would like to see him play a full season, but, you know, uh, almost a point per game is is pretty good, of course. Um, Chandler Stevenson um, is the second guy on this list, sixty five points in eighty one games. Then at yeah. various points, he was the top scorer on the team too. Yeah, yeah, he People was pretty good. That. It's true. 
Uh, Jonathan Marcheseau with 57 points in 76 games. Uh, Riley Smith, uh, the aforementioned guy who's, uh, who's, who's the series uh, titled after the Boston, Florida series. Uh, he has uh, 56 points in 78 games. Then you got Alex Petrangelo with 54 points in 73 games. William Carlson with 53 points in 82 games. Uh, then you have Shea Theodore with 41 points in 55 games. Mark Stone is uh, miraculously, somehow, coincidentally, uh, he's able to play um, in the playoffs. I'm, I'm making a joke because there was reports that he was uh, going to be down for the whole year, but um, it turns out that he um, he's ready to go. Um, 32, 38 points in 43 games. He's like the classic. If, the, if Vegas starts to do a run... Uh, that will be the, the big storyline is Mark Stone is the cap circumvention guy. He's the Kucherov, the Patrick Kane of the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, then you got Phil Kessel with 36 points in 82 games. Uh, Nicholas Roy with 30 points in 65 games. I feel like that's enough. I kind of mentioned all the relevant guys. Arbyshev uh, was 16 and 23, by the way. Great yeah. deadline pickup for them. Yeah, actually, okay, yeah, that's a good call. I was going to see if there was, like, any, like, free uh, trade guys that I missed, and there's that, uh, yeah. So, Barbashev is a good one to to note there. Um, in terms of goaltending, um, like, Vegas kind of, uh, they still got unlucky w- with injuries, because Logan Thompson, he was an incredible player. Um, he was, like, an early candidate for Vezina and definitely an early candidate for the Calder, but it looks like he's still injured. Um, but he went uh, 9.15 as a save percentage and a 2.65 GAA. Um, his record was 21-13-3. and um, In the mix, though, uh, you had Aiden Hill uh, with a record of 16-7-1. and uh, He had a GAA of 2.5 and a save percentage of 9.15. Uh, Laurent Boursois, who's actually going to be starting game one, um, 7-0-3. Um, he had a GAA of 2.17 um, and a save percentage of 9.27, so that's pretty good. Um, Jonathan Quick, who they got in the trade deadline, 9.01 save percentage, 3.13 GAA, 5-2-2. Two, and two. Um, So, I mean, I guess there is a potential that Jonathan Quick could play the LA Kings if both teams make it far into the second round, but maybe not going to happen if Lauren Brassois and Aiden Hill is the tandem. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm like reminded like last year where the Devils had uh, bad goalie uh, luck, and that was a big reason why the Devils didn't make the playoffs. But <laughs> this happened a lot to Vegas. Like not, I didn't even mention Robin Leonard's out the entire year for Vegas. Um, and that's another guy. Um, so, like, they, Vegas has gone through a lot of goalies this year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it may not ultimately matter because they have a good team on on the ice um, in terms of forwards. Um, and even with, like, Jack Eichel missing most of the year or, um, or some, like a qu- quarter of the year and Mark Stone missing half the year, they still finish first in their division. So uh, that's got to be good for something or that's like um in contrast to what happened last year and that's a credit to how good Bruce Cassidy was um as a coach 
Um, now we go to Winnipeg. Um, I should. I feel like I would be remiss to start with the goaltending uh, for Winnipeg because Connor Hullebuck is basically their team. Um, he <laughs> finished with a 920 save percentage and a 2.49 GAA. 37, uh, 25, and 2. Not his normal season, but still, like, not bad. Um, he's a big reason why Winnipeg is in the playoffs, um, even though uh, they're a wildcard team. Um, then you got Kyle Connor uh, leading the team in points with 80 points um, in 82 games. Oh, wow. I didn't realize Josh Morrissey's second in the, on the team with in points with 76 points in 78 games. So... Not yeah, bad. For he's a husband. solid Norris Trophy yeah. candidate. That guy's had an unreal year. Yeah, yeah. I I don't blame you for that. I, for some reason, I thought he was like doing poorly or had a bad second half, but it, clearly I was wrong on that. Um, Mark Scheifele with sixty-eight points in eighty-one games. You have Pierre Luc Dubois with sixty-three points in seventy-three games. Blake Wheeler with fifty-five points in seventy-two games. Nick Ehlers with thirty-eight points in forty-five games. Um, Adam Lowry with 36 points in 82 games, and Neil Pionk with 33 points in 82 games. Um, I guess other guys on this team that are noteworthy, Cole Perfetti, 30 points in 51 games. Uh, Nino Nitterreiter with 13 points in 22 games. Not bad uh, for a, a trade deadline acquisition there. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, roughly about it. Um, in terms of guys to look out for. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it, it's interesting. This Vegas Golden Knights team is interesting because they've had a lot of injuries like they had last year. Uh, but this year it's different because they have a better coach. They also have, you know, a better team around. Um, and, um, yeah, they're they're first in their division. Um, yeah, what, what's your preview of this Um of this series? Um, for the most part, um, it's the Connors uh, yeah. for Winnipeg. Without Kyle, you have no offense. Without Hellebuck, you have no last line of defense. Um, w- without Josh Morrissey, uh, you don't really have much of a blue line to speak of. Just, I, I, the more I'm thinking, okay, outside of Kyle Connor, who's stepping up offensively, mm. And, you know, down the stretch, Winnipeg was able to get some big character wins uh, against tough quality competition, which is good, don't get me wrong. And I think it's well needed when you consider the rhetoric of, you know, January, February, March, April. Um, at various points, you know, they were kind of free-falling. They, this was a team that at one point was leading the Central Division. All of the, you know, off-ice chatter uh, surrounding the core of this team, whether or not they're going to blow it up, uh, that went away when you know Winnipeg got off to that hot start, and then their flaws kind of got exposed a little bit. And you look at some of Rick Bonus's post-game pressers, and they didn't really sound convincing that you know everything was okay um, in terms of you know if everyone was on the same page. And you look at what the Vegas Golden Knights were last season. They didn't really look like a team, you know, on all fronts that was united on the same page. And I think that's changed with Bruce Cassidy. And Bruce Cassidy's really gotten the best out of his players. And that's why you look at a guy like Jack Eichel with 66 points, Chandler Stevenson with 65 points, 
And you know, a guy like Riley Smith um, in the top five scoring, Jonathan March is still in the top five scoring with around that same type of point production. And they they won the Western Conference. Yeah. They they finished with a better record than the Colorado Avalanche, who, mind you, were off to a bit of a sluggish start with injuries and whatnot. But even still, with that goalie tandem, without Robin Leonard in the mix, um, this team was still able to win the Western Conference, and that can't be underestimated. Uh, just the belief in that locker room and how Bruce Cassidy is able to make the most of what he has. And there have been 30 skaters that have seen ice time in the NHL this season under Vegas. Uh, so I, I think you, you got a group of guys that, you know, over time have gotten to know their roles. They know what they are on the team. And down the stretch, they're able to go out there with the mindset of, okay, this is what I got to do to help the team win. And you know what? If, if, um, the line combination is going to work better than this other line combination that Cassie's been rolling with five games. He's not afraid to make a change. And I think the ability to adapt is ultimately what's going to prove to be the success or downfall of these two teams. And yep. if I am looking at one player in particular throughout this whole season, it's Jack Eichel. Yeah. You are finally in the playoffs now. This is your moment. Show us. Show us you're that playoff performer. This is the time. Yeah, I was about to say, I think this is his first playoff. Uh, playoffs. Yeah, it is. Uh, so that's that's got to be exciting for him. Yeah, and um, he wanted to be on a winner. This yep. is his chance. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he'll have a Mark Stone, so it's not like, I mean, not yeah. to not to besmirch uh, Chandler Stevenson and Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith, of course, but... Um, Mark Stone is definitely uh, a level yeah. ahead of those guys, so that that's yeah. gonna help them. They're, they're a better team with Mark Stone in the lineup. There's yeah. no question. Yeah. Um, so I think given that Mark Stone, like I I I wonder if he's a hundred percent. I'm sure it's gonna take a couple of games for him to get acclimated again. But um, given that, I still think that Vegas will win this series. I'm gonna say Vegas in six. Yeah, once again, exact same prediction as what I have, Vegas and six. Wow. Connor Elbeck's going to steal a couple of games, but I I think Vegas is more adaptive than Winnipeg. They have better offensive depth than Winnipeg does. Mm. And just I think all around they're the better team and they're going to win. Yeah. Um, and they can win anywhere they play. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also am noticing, like, as I'm reading all these, like, stats of guys on on this program, I'm realizing there's a lot of former Washington Capitals guys, and I, I feel like if you're a Caps fan, you got to be upset about this because you you're, you have, like, Samsonov, Vanacek, Chandler Stevenson. I'm about to read off Phoenix Copley. Like, it's like, oh, right, like... <laughs> yeah, Chandler Stevenson actually was on the Capitals team that beat Vegas in yeah. 2018. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's true, too. Just <laughs> a sweet irony. Yeah, yeah. That's like, um... It's like Nolachari was on the Blues uh, on the team that beat him. Yeah. Although, I guess yeah. it's the reverse from that standpoint. Um, anyways, yeah. we're, that takes us to our next series here which is Edmonton LA this should be a fun one 
Um, of yep. course, this is the Wayne Gretzky series. Um, I, I think that I was going to make a joke of like I couldn't think of a guy who was who was on both teams uh, except for the most. I think Jerry guys. Curry was also on the Kings. Oh, too, was he? So he's another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's another good one. I was now. thinking like if there was other players other than Wayne Gretzky, but yeah, I guess maybe Jerry Curry. Marty McStorley was another one. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I guess that makes sense if like if Wayne Gretzky is on your team, you you follow him wherever he goes. So, um, yeah, but. Um, but anyways, uh, Edmonton, um, of course, is very good. You have Connor McDavid uh, finishing the year with 153 points um, in 82 in a full season, 82 games. Uh, then you have Leon Dreisaitl, who is, um, I think this is good, uh, 128 points in 80 games. Normally, this would be, you know, you would be um, the top point getter on any other team, literally. Um, but, uh, but not the case for Leon Dreisaitl. I'm, I'm sure he's fine with what, what's happening and that he's on the Edmonton Oilers and not the top point getter on another team. But, uh, then you have, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins with 104 points in 82 games. We mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but this is the first team since 95, 96, uh, that has three guys fi- uh, finish a hundred points or more. Um, on the same team, so good for for all those guys, of course. Um, other than that, guys, there's a bunch of schlubs like uh, Zach Hyman. I'm kidding, of course. 83 points in 79 games. Uh, Darnell Nurse. Um, this is, I guess, actually, this is the huge drop off with uh, Darnell Nurse with 43 points in 82 games. Tyson Berry. Oh wait, he's not no longer on the team. Um, ESPN still includes players who are not on the team, but they include the like what they were able to do on the team. Uh, so, so that's why I included Tyson Berry, but he's not on the team anymore. Uh, Evan Bouchard, um, 40 points in 82 games. Evander Kane, 28 points in 41 games. Warren Fogel, 28 points in 67 games. Uh, Matthias Janmark, 25 points in 66 games. Kyler Yamamoto, um, he kind of struggled early on in the season, but he kind of got going towards the end. Um, but yeah, he has 25 points in 58 games. Um, I could go on, but, um, I do want to mention for, uh, Matthias Ekholm, um, cause usually he's a shutdown defenseman, but he's been racking up some points in the meantime, uh, when he, since he's been in Edmonton, uh, with 14 points in 21 games, not too bad. It just shows that I guess if you're in Edmonton, there's something in the water, um, and you automatically score. Of course, it helps that you have the best player in the league um, and arguably the second-best player also on your team. Um, in terms of goaltending, um, Jack Campbell has not been good, um, and he's not the starter, but I do, do want to mention him because uh, he, he was their big free agent acquisition. But, uh, yeah, he ended up the year with 21, with uh, 21, 9, and 4. Uh, GAA of 3.41 and a save percentage of 888. Um, however, Stuart Skinner, apparently he's up for a Calder trophy. He could end up winning the Calder, which I wouldn't be shocked by at this point. I think it'll probably go to Matty Beneers, but um, it's probably between Skinner and Beneers. Uh, Skinner uh, played in 50 games. Uh, he went uh, 29, 14, and 5. 
a uh, save percentage of 2.75 um, and a save percentage of 914. Um, I don't think uh, Skinner is going to win it all, the Calder, but it's possible. Um, I think, but on the other hand, I think that's kind of what the Oilers have been looking for because all they really like when you have Connor McDavid on your team and Leon Draisaitl, all you really need is decent goaltending, someone like a Chris Osgood, and I think Stuart Skinner can be that guy. So um, yeah, kind of like a Braden Holpe yeah. in 2018, like yeah. just come up with a big save here and there. Yeah. And just hold the fort. Like, give us a chance. Exactly. So you don't have to be expected to do so much, but you're you're, yeah, you're golden. You don't have to be Shashurkin. Yeah. Just, you know, be a run-of-the-mill goalie that, you know, makes yep. the big save every now and then. Um, as for L.A., um, I guess I just happened to run into their goaltending stats here. Um, but uh, you have Jonas Gorposalo, who in 11 games, he's been pretty good. Uh, for LA, a 7, 3, and 1, a GAA of 2.13, and a save percentage of 9.21. Um, also, Phoenix Copley, um, with, uh, he has a record of 24, 6, and 3, uh, 9.03 save percentage, and a GAA of 2.64. I, what it they, gives me Peter Boudai vibes when Quick went down. I think yeah. it was 2016-17, and like, he yeah. wasn't like super flashy, but... He held the fort until yep. the Kings got Ben Bishop, then missed the playoffs. But right. like that, that season could have gone downhill for the Kings very fast. And Budai kept them in it for the longest yeah. time. And and Copley's done the same this year until Corpusallo came along. Yeah, I will. I will say because what what's interesting about this this team and a big re- like you know, I was reminded by this last week when I didn't pick the Kings to make the playoffs, but. That was because I was concerned about their goaltending, and it turns out their goaltending wasn't good. Um, when they had Quick and Cal Peterson, they call up Phoenix Copley, and he was manageable. Um, and then they get Corpusalo in a trade, uh, mostly because he was the most decent goaltender you could get without losing a ton of assets. Um, and yeah, he was able to deliver um, and, and be good. I imagine Corpusello is going to be the starter, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if he has a short leash and they pull in Copley if he's struggling. Um, as for the skaters here for LA, you have Anze Kopitar leading the team in points with 74 points in 82 games. However, Kevin Fiala has 70, uh, 72 points as well, but he did that in uh, with 69 games. Uh, so he probably, if he played a full season, he probably would have outpaced uh, Kopitar. Um, you have uh, Adrian Kempe, who has the quietest 40-goal season on record, probably. Uh, 41 goals um, is the official stat, but 67 points um, in 82 games. Then you have Victor Arvidsson. Even Ar- that time to score three shorties as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. I, I'm not even really sure why... You know, it's, it's funny, because LA's not, definitely not a small market team, but for some reason, like, I feel like we don't necessarily hear a lot out of LA. I think it has a lot to do with, like, California's not known for their hockey, even though they have three California teams, 
but it's it's just interesting because it's like, wait a second, Adrian Gempe had forty goals. <laughs> like what? Um, oh, I didn't yeah. re- even realize this, but Quentin Byfield played in fifty five games and had twenty three points. Like that, I knew. I thought yeah. he spent most of the season in the minor leagues, yeah, like yeah. the AHL. Because yeah. I'll be honest, like I don't watch a lot of West Coast hockey. I yeah, watch some, but okay. not a lot. So that kind of flew by the radar. It's like, wait, he played in how many games this year? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, maybe that's why, because I think a lot of the time when these games are on, the East Coasters are asleep or are getting ready to go to bed. So I think yeah. that's that's probably a big contributor to it for sure. But at the same time, it's like we pay attention to Edmonton. But I guess if McDavid wasn't on the team, we probably wouldn't be paying attention to it. Um, anyways. Well, we paid a lot to Edmonton before McDavid because they couldn't stop losing. But. True, true. And I guess it's like a Canadian team. Yeah, I guess that's a yeah. fair point, but I don't know. Um, anyways, um, uh, going on, moving on here, uh, Victor Arvidsson with 59 points in 77 games, Philip Deneau with 54 points in 82 games, Drew Doughty actually not doing too badly. I thought he was struggling. This is funny. It's like I'm like reading this roster, and I'm like, wait a second, what? <laughs> that just... This is how, like, I don't know, poor the media coverage is, I guess. It's like, we should know a lot of these guys or how good they're doing. Um, but anyways, um, Drew Doughty, 52 points in 81 games. Gabe Velarde with 41 points in 63 games, although I believe he's still injured. Uh, Sean Dursey, uh, 38 points in 72 games. I believe he's pre- he's pretty underrated. Um, Alex Iafolo with 36 points in 59 games. Um, other guys I wanted to mention, um, Arthur Kaliev with 28 points in 56 games. I remember when I wake up every now and then, um, and I see Kaliev scored a couple, and I'm like, oh, okay, Kaliev. He's, he he's averaged 1141 per game this year, yeah. by the way. So in terms of minutes, when you consider yeah. his ice time, those aren't bad numbers at all. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and Quinton Byfield, as you mentioned, 22 points in 53 games. Um, of course, it's not like, you know, he's still not as good as he was hyped, but I think he'll take a little bit more times. He's been, you know, when he was drafted, he was more considered to be like a power forward guy, type guy, um, and those guys take a little bit longer to develop. So I imagine we'll see Quinton Byfield actually take off in a few more years, but it's nice to see that he played 53 games and put up some points every now and then. Um... And then, uh, let's see here, other guys I wanted to mention, it seems like, yeah, that's about it. Um, so, so there's that. Um, yeah, I think this is, this will be an interesting matchup for both got teams, because uh, you have the Oilers, they should, they have Connor, they have the best player in the league by far, in Connor McDavid. Um, you also have, you know, and arguably the second best player in uh, Leon Dreisaitl. It's like if the Los Angeles Angels made the playoffs. Um, so so this is like, you know, the Oilers should win this series. However, like the Kings aren't that bad of a team. And like we just realized, it's like they have a few good players that could make some some noise for, El, uh, for Edmonton and will give them some trouble. Um, so... I I don't think it's necessarily that Edmonton's gonna uh, win out, but 
Um, but this is going to be a tight series, I feel like. It, like There's a chance where there's going to be a lot of high-scoring games, um, but I, th- I, I don't think it's going to be a sweep in either direction. Yeah, I, I mean, I predicted, I think it was the Kings in seven last time, uh, simply because right, I wasn't sure left about left. Edmonton's goaltending or their scoring depth. And obviously, McDavid and Dreisaitl in the playoffs, they hadn't really proven up to that point yep. that they were playoff performers. Uh, just because of the limited experience they had, what happened in the 2020 bubble against Chicago, they were in a best-of-five series. They didn't even make it to game five. They they lost in four to a Chicago team that was nearing the, the end, basically. And now you've got uh, an L.A. team that's finding their defensive groove at the right time. You look at Vlaslav Gavrikov, who was also included in the Corpusalo deal. Nine points in 20 games, and he's a plus 12. Um, so, you know, even as a depth defenseman, they have Gavrikov down the blue line, the Kings do. And just like an uh, underrated cast of characters offensively, um, Fiala is day-to-day questionable for game one, but, you know, he's one of those guys that they acquired at the start of the year where everyone's just like you know what this could be a pacific division winner um and you know what maybe if uh they get better goaltending at the start of the year maybe they do overtake vegas uh just barely but maybe they overtake vegas and they're the top team in the western conference um you look at the ageless Anze kopitar not putting up maybe the numbers that he once did but still a fairly effective player uh, we mentioned Kaliev. He has eight of his 13 goals on the power play. So if you want a power play marksman out there, um, that probably doesn't get uh, as many looks as a guy like Fiala would or Kopitar or Kempe or even Victor Arvidsson. Um, you know, maybe you mix it up and throw in a young guy that uh, maybe a lot of teams don't have a good read on and uh, he gets a couple by the goalie. Um, so this, this team is definitely deceptive and could give the Edmonton Oilers problems. But I'm just looking at what the Edmonton Oilers' top two guys have been able to do. And we all know who they are, McDavid and Dreisaitl. And yes, Zach Hyman has been great. And yes, Ryan Nugent Hopkins also has 100-plus points. And you mentioned Stuart Skinner has been good. You mentioned yeah. how Matias Ekholm has kind of shored up the blue line since he's arrived there. A very underrated piece uh, for their offense on the blue line uh, helping take the pressure off of Darnell Nurse a little bit too Um, you also have Evan Bouchard chipping in offensively here and there Um, but it all comes back to McDavid and Tricital and I don't know if you know this Brett but McDavid is just the fifth player all time to outright lead the NHL in goals, assists, and points in the same season. The last guy to do that was shocker Wayne Gretzky in 86-87. None of us were even alive at that point, not even close to roaming this earth at that time. And while Connor McDavid was scoring 60-plus goals and putting up 150-plus points, Leon Dreisaitl, I think I mentioned last week, had a 30-plus goal season on power play, which has only happened a handful of times in recorded NHL history. And what he has done hasn't been done since Dave Andrzejczyk did it in 92-93, which, you know, I was born in April of 93, so around the time of the 93 playoffs starting, uh, most of that was done when, again, I wasn't roaming this earth. So we're talking about two generational talents uh, just 
playing to their fullest potential right now. And, like, when you look at those two guys and you look at how they were able to carry the Oilers to the Western Conference Finals last year, how could they not do it again? Like, yeah. there's there's just so much... There's just so much awesomeness to what they're doing right now. It, it's it's almost like no defense can read them. Mm-hmm. And even if they do, it doesn't matter because they just have that God-given talent yep. where, like, Alex Ovechkin's secret spot on the power play that isn't so secret, he can't defend it because he's just going to score. Yeah. <laughs> it's like McDavid gets the puck, game over. Drysdale gets the puck, same deal, game over. That's that. That's a wrap. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's a short way of saying Edmonton in seven. I definitely think it is going to be a tight series, but the Oilers win. Yeah, I was about to ask you what your prediction is. I also have yeah. Edmonton in seven as well. Oh, wow. We're on the same wavelength. I know, I know. Here, yeah, I'm, I'm writing down what we all predicted. Um, yeah, we... Uh, I The only one that we kind of differed on was the Islanders-Carolina series. Um, yeah, but like yeah, I knew, the upset there, right? I knew that was going to happen, and I had the Bruins in six. You had Boston five, um, but everything right. else we've gone incorrect. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, now we get to Colorado and Seattle. Um, this one is the Junis Donskoy series. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. I I don't think Junis Donskoy is even in the league anymore. But uh, I didn't know. I think he is, but he's injured. I think oh, he's he? still in the Kraken roster, but he's okay. he's just injured right now. That is funny. And I don't think. I'm trying to think. Is he? Uh, I'm gonna double check, but I don't think he's back until next year. I know he was on uh, the injure reserve list. Um, but yeah, I'll get I'll get back to you. Okay. On, <laughs> sure, on that, sure. on that front, but yeah. Fair. Oh, I should have done Andre Burakovsky. That's the most obvious one. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, unfortunately for Seattle, he's also going to miss the start of round one. So, yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, the Avs don't have to deal with him either. Yeah, good point. Um, anyway, speaking of the Avs, uh, they, of course, have a very good team. They won the Stanley Cup last year, um, and for good reason. They won't have Gabriel yeah, Anderson. Yeah, has a concussion. He's not, okay. he's not back for a while, so Got he's it. probably out of the playoffs. Uh, yeah, speaking of injuries, uh, Gabriel Landeskog is uh, is not going to be pl- is out for the playoffs as well. Um, there were some reports like he was skating every now and then, uh, but yeah, they just made it that uh, Landeskog is not playing. You always you know feel bad for um, a guy that young to uh, have some injury issues and like he's gonna miss he missed. The entire year, not just uh, the playoffs, but um, so it's yep. just sad to see. But uh, the Colorado Avalanche are still a good team, even without their captain. Uh, you have Nathan McKinnon uh, with 111 points in 71 games. Um, that's incredible. Um, then you have Mika Rantanen with 55 goals, 105 points in 82 games. Uh, Kill McCarr missed roughly 20 games, but still. Uh, pretty good, uh, 66 points in 60 games. Uh, JT Comfer, who I believe is now on power play one, uh, due to Landeskog being out, but he's been the guy for them. Um, he has 52 points in 82 games. Uh, then you have Arteri Lekkinen, uh, who's been, um, 
who's kind of like the latest Goggin replacement in a way, uh, but he was also good in the playoffs last year as well. 51 points in 64 games. You got Devin Tays um, with 50 points in 80 games. Um, I know they're not related, but I forgot to mention that Jonathan Tays uh, played his last game in Chicago. Um, so, well, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, it, it seems like he's not going to retire, but um, I, I thought it seemed like he might, and it's unclear of what teams even wants him at this point, which is something I never thought I would say 10 years ago. Um, anyways, back to the series. Uh, Valerie Nichushkin with 47 points in 53 games. Um, I believe he, he's injured uh, still, right? Nichushkin? No, Nichushkin is back, but uh, oh, okay. for a good chunk of... Well, he had that hot start in the first couple weeks, right. and then he missed time due to injury, and then he came back. Got so... It. You mentioned uh, the the injured reserve. It's had a lot of various occupants from yeah. the Avalanche, and he was one of the many that uh, made at least one pit stop. Yeah, there. yeah. Uh, that's that that's pit right. stop turned into like a month's stay, practically. Yep. Then you have uh, Sam Girard uh, with thirty seven points in seventy six games. Alex Newhook with thirty points in eighty two games. Uh, other guys I want to mention, uh, Bowen Byram, 24 points in 42 games. He's another guy who's missed a certain amount of time, but once he's yep. been healthy, he's been pretty good, actually. Um, and then, uh, Lars Eller with seven points in 24 games. Eric Johnson with eight points in 63 games. He's not really known for his, um, offensive ability anyways, but, um, but there's that... Um, He's a good locker room yeah. leader that I think is going to be leaned on, especially with Landis Cog out for the year. Yeah. I think you know, if you're looking for like veteran experience to kind of like lead you out of a tough situation or you're you're grinding it out with a team mm. and it's a very razor thin game where, you know, one mistake ends up in your back of your net and that's your season. Um, you know, Eric Johnson is probably the role yep. model that a lot of those guys will turn to for advice. So he plays a big role on this team, even though, you know, from an offensive standpoint, uh, from a defensive standpoint, he's not their number one guy. Right. Like, there are a lot of guys on the defensive depth chart that are probably ahead of Eric Johnson, uh, but he's there for a reason. Yep. Uh, he's a good locker room guy and a great leader and a guy that this team needs right now. Yep, uh, Josh Manson, 10 points in 27 games. He's another one who doesn't score a ton, but 10 points in 27 also games. Also missed time due to injury. Yeah, I think he's clearly. starting to get on the healthier side, though, but yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we mentioned, you know, the abs run last year and how big of an yeah. role that he played in the shutdown. Yeah, yeah. I, he's, he's uh, like, yeah, he's more of a shutdown guy, but I, I did want to mention, like, t even still, like, 10 points in 27 games, and yeah, as you mentioned, he's probably yep. still injured, but... Not bad for, for a shutdown guy um, in terms of points. Um, and then lastly, I, I forget if I mentioned this, but I probably did, but just in case I didn't, um, Evan Rodriguez, 39 points in 69 games. Um, also has uh, six power play goals. Uh, that's yeah. that's the other thing is yeah. uh, Colorado can score power play goals from a lot of different sources. Comper has five, McCarr yeah. has five, Rodriguez, we mentioned, has six. Lekkonen has eight. He's another guy that uh, is having a good year. Yep. And then the double digits, you have Ranton and McKinnon and Shushkin. Yep. Um, in terms of goaltending, uh, Alexander Gorgiev played in 62 games, went 40, 16, and 6. 
Uh, GAA of 2.53, uh, save percentage of 9.19. Um, also, you, we might be seeing Pavel Francus, but maybe not. Um, he played, uh, he has a record of 8, 7, and 1, a GAA of 2.61, and a save percentage of 9.15. Um, yeah, we kind of, it's kind of been a, um, a little bit of a subject matter, uh, or not a subject matter, but a little bit of a storyline for Colorado is that they had a lot of injuries throughout this season, um, mainly because of Gabriel Landeskog, Kale McCarr missed some games, Josh Manson as well, um, and Eric Johnson. But um, but yeah, it's, it's it's unclear of how like I feel like at this point no team is a hundred percent with every single guy, but. Um, but yeah, it's like clearly if Kale McCarr is not a hundred percent, then um, Colorado might be in trouble um, in the coming days. Um, in terms of Seattle, you have uh, Jared McCann led the team in points with seventy points in seventy nine games. Then you got Vince Dunn with sixty four points in eighty one games. We talked about him last time. Um, Jordan Everle with sixty three points in uh, eighty two games. Matty Beniers. Uh, Calder Trophy winner probably um, 57 points in 80 games uh, then you got Yanni Gord with 48 points in 81 games Daniel Sprong with 46 points in 66 games Oliver Bjorkstrand with 45 points in 81 games Jaden Schwartz with 40 points in 71 games I'll mention him even though he's probably not going to play the series Andre Burakovsky with 39 points in 49 games um, in terms of other guys, Ely Tolvanen um, is worth noting, 27 points in 48 games. Um, yeah, I think maybe Justin Brandon Schultz. Tanev with 16 goals and a plus 21 has also That's been very bad. good. Yep. And before he got hurt last year, he was one of their best offensive players too. Like yep. he, he, He's one of those guys, and we saw it in the playoffs with Pittsburgh a yep. couple seasons ago. You know he can be an X factor on a yeah. playoff team. Yeah, he's a he's an aggressive guy too. So that that's definitely he's like a big energy guy. So that yeah, that'll certainly help them. As also for, as probably the most iconic NHL, um, I don't know what you call them mug shots, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah wait, it looks like, like you see the ghost. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. The funniest thing ever. Um, in terms of gold sending for Seattle, um, not so good. Uh, Philip Grubauer. Will probably be the starter, uh, but he went 17, 14, and 4 with a GAA of 2.85 um, and a save percentage of 8.95. Martin Jones um, went 27, 13, and 3, a 2.99 GAA and a save percentage of 8.87. Um, yeah, this is, you know, obviously this is Seattle's second season and their first playoff. Uh, round, um, and then they play the, <laughs> their first opponent is the Colorado Avalanche, um, and even though Colorado has had, uh, bad injuries, there or just had a lot of injuries to key guys, um, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, and, like, j- that on top of the fact that Seattle's goaltending is very shaky as well, um, I feel like this would be the shock of the century if Seattle beats out Colorado. 
um, in this series. So um, I guess I'm doing an early prediction here, but I have Colorado in five. I hate giving sweeps to teams, uh, but I, I feel like this is the closest sweep we'll, we'll have. So Colorado in five. Wow, okay, okay. Uh, well, um, you might think Philip Grubauer hasn't really been playing his best hockey, and since he left yeah. Colorado, you'd be right. Oh, that's another um, one I should have mentioned as... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Philip Grubauer series. Yeah, screw that. Yeah. <laughs> that's way better. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I will say, though, uh, his numbers have improved uh, because they looked worse uh, around the trade deadline, and... They look a bit more respectable now, and that's because he's gone on a little bit of a run. Uh, March 2nd uh, to March 7th, he played in four games and won all of them. Uh, mind you, there are a couple of bad teams in the in the mix there. Mm. He faced the Ducks. He faced the Blue Jackets. Uh, but he also faced uh, the Avalanche on March 5th, and he stopped uh, 21 of 23 uh, for that uh, victory. Uh, then against Ottawa... He has a bit of a rough outing. 31, goal, uh, 31 shots against five goals go by him. Uh, and that was a 5-4 loss as well. Um, and then a couple of nights later, March 16th, uh, actually a little bit of time has passed, a full week, uh, faces the Sharks and stops 31-32. of 32. I mentioned those starts between Ottawa and San Jose where he faces 31-32 and 32 shots respectively. And I say that because... In his appearances from March 2nd to April 13th, that's the only two outings he has faced 30 shots or more. He has faced less than 30 shots in every single outing from March 2nd to April 13th outside of those two games. And he's strung together one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine wins in that span. So he's been able uh, to pick it up a little bit on, uh, on the Seattle Kraken's behalf. Um, the thing is, again, you're going up against the Colorado team that's probably going to average like 30 to 40 shots a game in this series. So uh, good luck trying to stop your former teammates, who, by the way, probably know where your weak spots are. Right. So that's not great. Uh, and then, of course, uh, if that doesn't work, you have Martin Jones, which at this point, uh, uh, I don't know what Martin Jones you're going to get in the playoffs. Yep. He can steal a game, as we've seen in the San Jose Vegas series, but... I mean, <laughs> it doesn't happen as often these days. I will give a tip of the cap to Seattle at this point because Jerry McCann not only got 70 points to lead the team, he also got 40 goals. Like, you talk about a guy that didn't work out in Vancouver, didn't really get a shot in Florida, got somewhat of a chance to reach his full potential in Pittsburgh, was on the lease for a hot minute before Seattle claimed him in the expansion draft. And the past two years he's just raped yep. he's scored in bunches and um it's just breath of fresh air to see what he's become over there um you mentioned Vince Dunn contract year um if not for a guy like Eric Carlson hitting 100 points he's probably top five in the Norris conversation right now uh, and I'm curious to see where he lands he's also a plus 28 and has logged close to 24 minutes a night. So definitely a huge part of that Seattle Kraken offense. And out of his 14 goals, none have come on the power play as well, which is interesting. Um, Matty Beneers, you mentioned a potential rookie of the year candidate. Wholeheartedly agree. He is in the conversation. 
Um, but also guys like Andy Gore, Daniel Sprong have been solid, solid contributors for the Seattle Kraken team. Yanni Gord has 14 goals. Daniel Sprung, again, coming into the NHL with a fair bit of all-star potential, and it's taken him a while to blossom into the player that he is now. And on Seattle, in 66 games this year, he has 21 goals. That's pretty darn impressive. Oliver Bjorkstrand, you get 20 goals out of him in the 81 games that he plays. You get 21 goals out of Jaden Schwartz, who... You know, on the St. Louis Blues, had some pretty decent years, but, you know, I don't think you would call him a primary threat to score goals on this Seattle offense. Prior to him getting hurt, Andre Kurikowski was the top scorer on the team, and even still, uh, ninth best scorer on the team. And when he comes back, hopefully, uh, in this series, um, he's probably going to be relied upon to make a difference while he's there. And Brandon Tanev, as I mentioned, 16 goals uh, as well. Um, That being said, Colorado is wicked to the point where Devon Taves isn't their best defenseman, and he still put up 50 points, and he's a plus 39. Uh, You look at the season that Lekkonen had, and Confer as well, and Nachushkin in the 53 games that he's played, Evan Rodriguez... Uh, putting up solid secondary numbers. Sam Gerrard with 37 points, and he's probably one of the weakest defensemen on the depth chart as well. You look at a guy like um, Kale McCarr, who is still over a point-per-game pace, even though he only played in 60 games and changes the dynamic of that offense so much. And yes, Nathan McKinnon is a hard trophy candidate, but look at Miko Rantanen in the season that he had 55 goals, 105 points. Like, this guy probably was leaned on more than ever to be that offensive catalyst, especially when McKinnon was missing that brief stretch due to injury. He played all 82 games. He got over 100 points, over 300 shots, 22 minutes a night and change. Uh, pretty good power play numbers as well. Three overtime winners, nine game winners. Um, he's playing the best hockey of his life right now. And when you add it all up, the Avs are definitely the favorites. Um, however, I'm going to give you the courtesy that you gave the Panthers and say Seattle's going to get themselves to one more game, but they are going to lose this series. I'm going to say Avs in six. Okay, interesting. Um... Now we get to Dallas and Minnesota. Um, in terms of a guy, a player who's played on both teams, I'm sure there is someone who has. However, John I thought... John Klingberg. Yeah, that, that's a good one, actually. Facing um, his former team. There's the narrative right yeah, there, too. Yeah, there is. However, I, I found two kind of uh, loopholes here. One is okay. Dallas used to be the Minnesota North Stars. As you know. So, uh, Mike Modano, famously, he played uh, the last season in Minnesota, or his, you know, the last season for Minnesota North Stars, Um, but he played the rest of his career in Dallas, and then he had a stint in Detroit, uh, famously. Um, But, um, but anyways, uh, so technically this could be the Mike Modano series, because, but if you count the Minnesota North Stars... In Minnesota. Uh-huh. Right, but even though technically... I know exactly it's where you're going. I know exactly where you're going. The other loophole I found was yeah. Bill Guerin, 
is the GM of the Minnesota Wild. Oh. And uh, he also played for the Dallas Stars as well. So this is also True. technically the Bill Guerin. But yeah, I think you're right. John Klingberg, this could, among our rules that we made up, John Klingberg would work here too. Where, where, actually, I actually have a better one. Okay. Ooh. Brian Suter. Brian. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Because good one. he was bought out by Bill Guerin, and ah. now he's going up against his former team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought I thought that was pretty good, like a loophole that Bill Guerin yep. is the GM for oh, Minnesota, and he yeah. played for Dallas. Oh, yeah, it was very good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At least I got some credit. I just feel there's just gonna be some extra yeah. spice to the Ryan Suter storyline than John Klingberg. Yeah, no, but Klingberg's a good one too. I for some reason I I that that's a good one. Um, but uh, anyways, in terms of the actual play here, uh, you have the Dallas Stars. Um, you have Jason Robertson who led the team in points with a hundred and nine. Um, in a full season, you also have Jamie Benn with 78 points in 82 games. Joe Pavelski, I, I think we mentioned this on the show, but we might not have. He got his 1,000th career point. Um, I yeah. think it was on the same day as Claude Giroux did as well, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, But yeah, anyways, he has 77 points on, in 82 games. Rupe Hintz with 75 points in 73 games. Miro Heiskanen with 73 points in 79 games. Um, and then he got, uh, then there's like a bit of a, um, like a level below these guys, but Tyler Sagan with 50 points in 76 games. Um, and then you have White Johnston who really started to take off towards the second half of the year. He could be an X factor in the series, uh, but yeah, he has 41 points in 82 games. Uh, then you have Mason Marchment with 31 points in 68 games, uh, Ty Delandria with 28 points in, 80, in a full season. The aforementioned Ryan Suter with uh, 25 points in 82 games. In terms of other guys to mention, Max Domi with 7 points in 20 games. I wonder if they get him going somehow, but he was their big tree acquisition. In terms of uh, goaltending uh, for Dallas, you have Jake Ottinger um, with 37. He went 37, 11, and 11. Uh, with a GAA of 2.37 um, and his uh, save percentage of 9.19. Pretty good, um, I would say. Um, yeah, uh, Dallas is a pretty good team. They were kind of in the top of the Central Division for a little bit, but they kind of got supplanted by Colorado late um, late in the season. But they're still a pretty good team. Like, that doesn't, like just because they lost the Central Division champ trophy doesn't mean that they aren't a good team um but yeah they're they're still um yeah it will be fun to see this team play the minnesota wild where you have uh kaprizov with 75 points in 67 games he leads the team there of course uh then he has zuccarello uh, with 67 points in 78 games matt boldy with 63 points in 81 Games. Uh, Joel Erickson Eck with 61 points in 78 games. Frederick Goudreau with uh, 38 points in 82 games. No relation to Johnny. Um, Ryan Hartman with 37 points in 59 games. That's pretty good. Uh, Jared Spurgeon with 34 points in 79 games. Uh, Keelan Addison with 29 points in 62 games. Let me see other players worth noting. John Klingberg. 
Um, he has... Why can't I find him? Oh, Matt Dumba. I guess he was really struggling. 14 points in 79 games. John Klingberg with 9 points in 17 games, so also not great. But, um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, in terms of goaltending, um, it was interesting because at the beginning of the year, Minnesota was struggling mostly because of the goaltending. Um, and Marc-Andre Fleury kind of was, a, like, he still didn't, I mean, I guess he has decent numbers, but not great numbers. Uh, with a 9.08 save percentage and a 2.85 GAA, he went 24-16-4. However, Philip Gustafson actually started to take the starter crease. Um, and uh, I believe he's now, he was second in uh, goals against average and save percentage. Um, with a 9.31 save percentage and a GAA of 2.8. One, um, yeah, he's second in both of those categories, um, and then he had uh, he went twenty two nine and seven. Um, I feel like if he played a little bit more games, he probably would have a shot at the Vezina. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's been really good. Um, anyways, but yeah, he's been a big reason why Minnesota kind of made that push towards the end. Uh, I mean, they were always a playoff team, but. Um, but yeah, he's been really good, um, and, and kind of went on the next level. Um, so yeah, what, what's your take on this series? Well, it's interesting with Phil Augustuson because, um, he was arguably Ottawa's worst goalie right. last year, and then they traded him in a one-for-one, one, uh, for Cam yeah. Talbot. I knew you were going to um, go there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? I'm so happy for Philip Gustafson. Yeah. Uh, great, great year by him, and, uh, definitely... Uh, a guy that Minnesota needed to get going. And by the way, they have Jesper Wallstead in the system. So God only knows how good they'll be when he is ready too. Um, Matt Zuccarello as well. I'm very impressed yeah. with how his career has kind of bounced back as well since he's come over. Um, 67 points in 78 games for a guy deep into his 30s. Yeah, Pretty darn good. Uh, when Kaprizov was injured, Matt Boldy really got going offensively in terms of goal scoring. I think I mentioned a few episodes ago how well he's performed for the Wild in his second season. Joel Eriksson is a bit banged up, unfortunately, but still 61 points, like you said. Great for him. Um, and then in between, you know, you have, you know, you have depth guys that can turn it up as well. Um, I, I just look at the Dallas Stars just from a depth standpoint. A lot of their guys pop out to me. When you have five guys with at least 70 points, and one of them is a defenseman, and his name is Miro Iskinen. Like, good lord, that's 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 going to be tough to contain come playoff time. And a lot of those guys are d- deep into the pluses. Like, Joe Pavelski's a plus 42. Rupe Hintz is a plus 31. Jason Robertson, their leading scorer, almost 110 points, plus 37. Um, 300 shots from that guy as well. Um, the, the strides that he has made... Um, is hella impressive. And they've got guys in the pipeline, as we mentioned before, Logan Stankoven, a couple of other names as well that I'm sure I'm going to overlook uh, for the time being. Uh, but they're well on their way too. And guys like Wyatt Johnson, that's just the start of the youth yep. movement there. And you also have Ty DeLandria. Um, if guys like Johnson and Ty DeLandria are able to uh, find that extra gear in the playoffs, man, the... The Stars are going to be one hell of a wagon, and they're going to be very tough to stop. 
And um, on top of, you know, Jake Ettinger's performance uh, in round one last year and how intrigued I am to see how he's going to do this year, the matchup that I really want to see is Kirill Kaprizov versus Jason Robertson. And I say that because a couple of years ago, these guys were rookies and they were competing neck and neck for the Calder Trophy. And down the stretch, Kaprizov's play was getting Minnesota into the playoffs and cementing themselves as a playoff team. And while Jason Robertson came up short uh, in terms of getting his team into the playoffs, uh, he was proving that he was going to be an offensive force to be reckoned with. And those uh, goals came to fruition this season as well. And just the way that he's been able to elevate himself, his approach to the game, if you watch uh, the latest 32 Thoughts podcast, uh, I think it was released a couple weeks ago with uh, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on the Sportsnet channel on YouTube. Uh, they go in depth into where Jason Robertson was in year one to where he is now and just the mindset that he has and how he approaches the game. Um, so if, if you want to get some information before the series starts, you can go check out that conversation. Um, definitely a great piece of hockey knowledge for hockey fans out there. Um, but now that they're going head-to-head in a playoff series, I'm really interested to see that back and forth between those two because those are just two shorts. Uh, those are two showstoppers going head-to-head, um, exchanging offensive blows at each other and trying to help their team get that extra goal. And when you look at uh, the high-flying offense that they play in front of, um, it's it's going to be a, a very uh, beautiful, poetic offensive scene, an offensive showcase of two of the best young players in the yep. game today. And I can't wait to see how that unfolds as the series progresses. Yeah, this is a series that I'm looking forward to seeing um, play out of, of all the Probably series. the best in the West for me, if, yeah. if I'm being honest. For sure. Um, in terms of predictions, I have Dallas in seven. Dallas in seven, eh? Wow. Yeah. You, you believe in the, the DeVore... Um, for our opponents, I guess you call it the Devora curse, where year one his team just goes on a run and you can't stop it. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, well, I am too. Dallas at seven. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I, I think I think Minnesota is going to keep it close, but just the firepower that Dallas has, it's it's going to be enough in the finale. So yeah, yeah, I'm going with Dallas. You had me worried there for a second because you were saying when I said <laughs> Dallas and seven, you was like, oh, interesting. That's like, oh, okay, so that means you have Minnesota in seven or something. I, I feel like all yeah, these no. I feel like all these games are gonna be a close one, but yeah. I mean yeah. I, I feel like yeah. we could have, we could have yeah. some five four thrillers in there as yeah, well, a couple exactly. of overtime classics too. Yeah. Uh yeah, so we have pretty similar predictions though. I think the only one we differed on now is the Carolina New York one. And purposely I've been kind of, I was kind of a contrarian on that one. But yes, um it's interesting. Um interesting too, I guess you went with all the favorites. Oh, except yeah, for the Devils. I, oh, well, the Devils, I, mean, the I guess. The Devils are the higher seed, so yeah, I guess yeah, yeah, if you not. want to call the Rangers an underdog, which yeah. I don't think is really unfair. Like, that's, like, flip a coin on that one. Yeah, yeah. Who's the favorite there. True, true. Uh, but, but, yeah, true. I have noticed that I'm not really taking that underdog matchup too yeah. much in the in the opening round. But, yeah. um, you know, as the playoffs cool. go on, I, I might feel differently as the yeah. teams play, but... Yeah, I, I just feel that that the favorites have something that separates themselves well, from their yeah. opponent, and 
I think yeah. that separation is just too much for the opponent to overcome. So that's, well, that's why I feel. That I way. mean, literally, home ice in Game Seven is pretty big. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's Game awesome. One and Game Seven. And like, Game One, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> those are those are probably the two biggest games of the whole series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're we're going pretty long still, but I mean, we kind of expected that, but. Uh, just lastly, we wanted to do a Final Four prediction, a Stanley Cup Finals prediction, and a Stanley Cup Champs prediction. Um, I'll go first here. Um, so I, th- I think I got, I have Boston and the Rangers uh, facing off in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I think Colorado will be healthy enough to make another run. Um, and so I have them in the Western Conference, and then I have Vegas coming out on that, and as well as so Colorado Vegas for those two. Um, then in the Stanley Cup Finals, um, you know this is one of those things where it's like, do I go with my heart? Do I go with my head? Do I try to jinx it? Do I do I just like be the cocky guy as I should be? Um, but. You know, I don't. I don't think anyone like it. It's, I. You know what? I don't believe in the voodoo, even though that's kind of the how I've been acting <laughs> this entire season. Um, I'm gonna say Boston and Colorado in the Stanley Cup Finals, and Boston is going to win um, the Stanley Cup. So partially, I'm going. Partially, I'm going with my heart, but I'm also going with my head too. Um, Boston. Let's say Boston in seven. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, uh, remember that uh, DeBoer curse? Um, yeah. It's going to take Dallas to the Final Four. Okay. Uh, and they're going to face uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, so, I have that in the West. Okay, so two different uh, teams that we have here. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I've, I think uh, the absence of Landis Cog. You know, yep. in a seven-game series in round two, that might be enough to knock out the Avs. That's fair. Uh, in terms of the East, uh, sorry to disappoint you, I have the Leafs and Rangers. <laughs> okay. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that ages. Uh, don't worry, though. I have the Leafs losing to the Rangers. Uh, but I also have McDavid and the Oilers losing to Dallas. So we're going to get oh, Dallas, wow. the Lone Star State, taken on Broadway in the Stanley Cup Finals, and Dallas will get it done in seven games. Wow. You look at Joe Pavelski, Jamie Benn, uh, just waiting all their lives for this opportunity, Peter DeBoer as well. Um, they're going to get their time in the sun, and they're going to they're gonna hoist the cup on the NHL's final day. So, Interesting. Uh, yeah, Dallas get hyped. It's funny how we had pretty similar predictions in the first round, but then when it comes to the conference final and the Stanley Cup, we uh, we went way off the board there. Yeah, uh, I just have that vibe. Yeah, I just have that vibe that it's going to be Dallas's year. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it'll be the the Tyler Sagan series, maybe if if it's Boston Dallas. Um, yeah, that would that would be definitely an enticing matchup right. for sure. Right, right, right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, that's about it here. Um, we're, I'm going to be on vacation next week, so we're not going to have a recording next week, but that's okay. Um, we'll probably, you know, we might miss the second round predictions potentially, but 
we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's my favorite time of the year anyway. So even if you don't yeah, we'll hear us, obituaries as well. Yeah, because we'll by the end, by the time we reconvene, it'll probably be the end of round one as well. Yeah. Round two will be getting underway. So yeah. we'll have you know eight teams and. Yeah, a lot of them will be facing uh, uncertain futures in a variety of different ways. Like for for one team, I'm looking at you know if Florida's eliminated, they're gonna have a they're gonna have a fun off season ahead uh, yeah. in terms of how they construct their roster. So once we get those obituaries going of team seasons, we're gonna get a lot of compelling storylines there. So that sure. that to me is the interesting part. Once we yeah. start to see teams bowing out of playoff contention there. True, I guess I'm just thinking that I, I feel like the second round might be happening when we start recording the next time. But we'll see. Possibly. Depends on how many Game 7s we get. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, then we have... Um, so, so just uh, a little house cleaning note there. But um, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at LaceUpPod... Uh, LaceUp... No, LaceMPodcast. Our Facebook yep. is Lace Them Up. You can also subscribe to us if you haven't already. Um, if you haven't subscribed to us after listening to us, listening to us for two hours and 20 minutes, um, thank you. But, uh, yeah, please subscribe um, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Elser. We'll chat in round two, episode 362 of the Lights Up Podcast. Also, happy Patriots Day for everyone in the Boston area.